meeting to order. Welcome and good evening, everyone. Tonight is Tuesday, July 18th, 2023, and this is the City of Alameda City Council meeting, and we are about to go into closed session. Uh, but we will start with a roll call, and I'd like to ask City Clerk Laura Weisinger to please call the roll. Uh, Councilmember Sorrera Spencer? Present. Jensen? Here. Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft? Present. Three present, and uh, Vice Mayor Daysog and Councilmember Bella should be here shortly. Thank you. And so we have the consent calendar. This is just on closed session items. Do we have anyone uh, commenting on, close, on um, the consent calendar for the closed session? We do not. All right, with that, we closed the consent calendar for the uh, closed session, and I would uh, like to ask you to, um, well, what I'm looking for is a motion, but I, would you please introduce item, uh, uh, item 2A. We need to do separate votes, don't no, we? No, we can do, it's a consent oh, calendar, so okay. you can do votes um, together on both. Oh. So 2A is um, negotiators for building 39, and then 2B is negotiators uh, for labor, so okay. for the related All right. items. So I need um, a motion to approve the negotiators. May uh, motion is made by uh, Councilmember Jensen. I need a second to that uh, motion. Second. Count Thank you, Councilmember Rivella. Um, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? Seeing none, that motion carries um, four yeses and, and uh, Vice Mayor Daysak still absent. Okay, so then we will move on to um, public comment, sorry, that was public comment on the consent calendar. Now this is public comment on the closed session items. And we still have none. <laughs> still have none. All right, so then we will close that public comment as well. And we are about to adjourn to closed session to consider several items, and I'd like to ask City Clerk to please introduce those items for us. Thank you. 4A is Conference of Legal Counsel Workers' Compensation Claim pursuant to Government Code Section 5495695. Claimant is employee in the Fire Department, the City of Alameda. The claims are 20955. 00007 2295500154 16955000080 16955000022 the agency claimed against is the city of alameda 4b is conference of legal counsel existing litigation pursuant to government code section 549569a uh, the case name is kanashiro versus city of alameda the court is superior court of the county of alameda case number is 22cv012572 4C is Conference of Real Property Negotiators, pursuant to Government Code Section 54956.8. The property is Building 39, located at 950 West Tower Avenue, Alameda Point. The negotiators are the City Manager, Base Reuse and Economic Development Director, and Assistant City Attorney and Broker John McManus. The negotiating parties are City of Alameda and PICA. Under negotiation are price and terms of lease. 4D is Conference of Legal Counsel Potential Litigation, pursuant potential initiation of litigation pursuant to government code section 549569 subsection d4 number of cases with one is one with a city as the plaintiff uh, with initiating legal action potential defendants are right speed inc doing business as revo powertrains 4e is conference with labor, labor negotiator pursuant to government code section 54957.6 city negotiators are the city manager human resources director and edward kreisberg outside counsel and deputy city attorney employee organizations are international association of firefighters under negotiation are salaries employee benefits and terms of employment thank you madam clerk and my plan is to move up the item 4e conference with labor negotiators to to um the third slot after the workers comp and the um, existing litigation because I think we're going to need I think we can dispense with those a little more quickly and then we'll go into the um, 
the Alameda Point items. So do, I know we've got a lot of staff here just so you kind of have a sense of where you are in the hierarchy. But let's um, now adjourn into closed session and to the members of the public who may be watching. We are going to be back at 7 o'clock. So let's go work fast, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, the first round of staff for right. item um, for able can yeah. please. Thank you. Great. And welcome to the City Council meeting for the City of Alameda. Tonight is Tuesday, July 18, 2023, and uh, Council has just returned from a closed session. And I would like to ask our City Clerk, Laura Weisinger, Weisinger to please report out any um, the action, if any, that was taken in closed session. So regarding item 4A, which is a workers' compensation claim, this case involves four workers' compensation claims filed by a former employee of the fire department. Applicant suffered multiple injuries, including those in to ankles, Achilles tendon as a result of work duties. He retired April 24th, 2022. The council authorized the city attorney to settle all four pending workers' compensation claims in an amount not to exceed $125,000. Uh, regarding 4B, which was a litigation case, the case involves litigation filed by Don Kaneshiro against the city of Alameda and Eve Abrahamson and David Schutt. The complaint alleges that the city Ms. Abrams and Mr. Shutt are liable for the injuries that the plaintiff sustained after she fell on a public sidewalk outside the home owned by Mrs. Abrams and Mr. Shutt. Council authorized the city attorney to enter into a settlement with the plaintiff to fully resolve the case with respect to the city, and the city would pay $92,500 to the plaintiff. Um, regarding item 4C, which was... Um, uh, real property negotiators for building 39. Um, staff provided information and council provided direction uh, by four eyes with council member Herr Spencer voting no. Regarding item 4D, which was um, potential litigation with right speed, um, the matter uh, staff provided information and council provided direction um, by four eyes with council member Herr Spencer voting no. Uh, regarding 4E, which was labor negotiations, staff provided information and no vote was taken. Thank you, um, Madam Clerk. And with that, we will adjourn the um, closed session. And I would like to call the um, regular council meeting to order. And before I lead us in the pledge, um, Tonight, I'm going to adjourn the meeting in memory of um, a very active Alamedan who passed away um, last week. His name is Don Sherritt, and I think many of you may know him. And the reason that I'm announcing that now is this meeting might go a little bit late. And so for everyone who's in the room, um, Don was for um, more than 40 years, he has been active in the schools as an administrator, a teacher, very active in the Boys and Girls Club, Alameda Little League. He is married to Margie Sherritt for more than 50 years. She was a well-known teacher, principal, administrator. The Sherritts were all about kids, and so we just remember uh, Don Sherritt tonight, extend our sympathies to the family, and we will adjourn tonight's meeting in his honor. Um, with that, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance is next on the agenda. I'm going to lead the pledge this time, so um, if, please stand if you're able. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America 
and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And um, Madam Clerk, would you call the roll, please? Yes. Vice Mayor Daysog. Here. Councilmember Sora Spencer. Present. Jensen. Here. Bella. Here. Mayor Ezzie Ashcraft. Present. Five present. All right. So next up is agenda changes, and there's one that I would like to propose. So um, we have a meaty agenda, and that's the reason you all are here tonight. Um, other than there was no good football on or something, I don't know. But anyway, um, baseball season, I guess. Um, but the um, uh, what I would like to propose is that when we come to items 7D and 7E, that we actually combine these two items because they're interrelated. You've read the staff report. You know that West Midway reshape, one relies on the other. What that would mean is we would allow the staff up to 20 minutes for the presentation, a combined presentation. But um, I have talked to city staff and um, city manager, city attorney, and, um, and the relevant staff, and they think that this would be a more um, efficient way to proceed with those matters. So um, do I have a motion to combine item 7D as in dog and E as in Edward? So moved. Moved by, uh, moved by Council Member Vela. Do I have a second? Second. Seconded by Council Member Jensen. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed or abstain? That motion passes unanimously. Thank you, Council. I appreciate that. Um, the second, oh, you're going to yeah, okay. Oh. 7B, we just want to also announce that oh, 7B. tell us about that, please, okay. Madam Clerk. Um, so just prior to the meeting, um, staff did uh, determine that uh, item 7B would not be heard tonight. Uh, that is the FAS agreement, so uh, that will come back at a later date and will not be addressed tonight. Right, Thank and you. then um, we don't have any proclamations or special orders of the day um, for number three, but I would like to call on City Manager Jennifer Ott to make an announcement rather than, again, wait till later this same evening uh, to hear it in her communications. Please, uh, Ms. Ott. Thank you, Mayor Council. I just want to do a quick introduction. We do have a new um, Recreation and Park Director, Justin Long, so I just want to invite him to, quick, to be really quick, but just to introduce himself quickly to you, Council, and the community. Um, and we're just really glad to have Justin has a lot of great experience working for cities throughout the country and uh, landscape architects. So we're really glad to have him and he started last week. Yes, thank you. Welcome uh, and go ahead and raise that mic microphone up a little so we hear you. Yeah, yeah. welcome. Well, thank you, uh, Madam Mayor and council members. Um, as I just said, my name is Justin Long. I have an extensive background in park operations, programming, capital projects, design. Um, but also, my family and I moved here over seven years ago, and oh. I'm happy to call Alameda home, and I just really look forward to being able to bring my background and skills to the city of Alameda. So with that, I look forward to working with each and every one of you, and I look forward to it. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, thank you, and welcome, welcome aboard. You've joined a great team. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to working with you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so um, then we keep moving down the agenda and we come to number four. Item number four is oral communications on non-agenda items. And we take 15 minutes at the top of the agenda to hear oral communications. Speakers have up to two minutes for this item. And then if we, haven't, um, if we can't get to everyone 
uh, in those 15 minutes, there's another opportunity at the, um, the end of the regular agenda. So, Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers under oral communications? Yes, I'll call the first three in person. Um, Brian Kennedy, Robert Bezik, and Don Keeler. And uh, Brian Kennedy's up first. All right, welcome, Speaker Kennedy. Hi, can you hear me? We can. Uh, I'm Brian <laughs> Kennedy. I wanted to bring up two incidents that relate to Alameda. In September of last year, uh, a young woman in um, San Carlos was killed. She was murdered. You know how she was murdered? She was decapitated by a guy with a samurai sword. He killed her by cutting her head off in broad daylight. You know why he killed her? She was going to rat him out for raping a child. So to keep her from testifying, he cut her head off. Do you know who he was? He was an illegal alien. An illegal alien, Castro Valley, raped a child and murdered an American woman. San Carlos is where? San Mateo County? Guess what San Mateo County is? It's a sanctuary county for illegal aliens. Yet again, sanctuary jurisdictions kill. Nearby Hayward, just down the road, young man named John Creech, he was killed in 2019. He was shot to death. They just caught his killer. Guess where they caught him? He was trying to sneak across the U.S.-Mexican border. Eh, another illegal alien. Guess what? Take a wild, wild guess what Hayward is. It's a sanctuary city for illegal aliens. Aren't sanctuary cities great? They kill people, they get little girls raped, and both Marilyn Ezzy Ashcraft and Malia Vela voted for that garbage here. Um, neither one of them were killed by the police. Marilyn, Malia, maybe Give those guys a ticker tape parade. Your heroes, your good buddies that rape children and murder people that are illegal aliens. I mean, you're big sanctuary city supporters. You got no problem with that, right? Oh, I forgot. Your own loved ones are conveniently safe and sound. Neither one of you care when other people's loved ones get killed. So it just shows your character, or in both your cases, a lack of. Why don't we get rid of the sanctuary city garbage before something like that happens here? Thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker, Robert Bezek. Welcome, Speaker Bezek. Well, thank you, um, Madam Mayor and Council Members. I'm here to speak on behalf of the, uh, the Leland J. Thompson Post 647. I think at several Council meetings and maybe into the future, you'll see members of the Post come before the Council during this period to, to bring attention to the Veterans Memorial Building. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a treasure for the city. And the, and the reason the veterans want to want to bring attention to it, we want to restore some of that rich history, fully we'll utilize the building for what it was always intended for. It was built in the 30s, and, it, and again, it has a, a rich history of serving the public. And the, vet, the several veterans groups that use it, you know, also serve the public in, in many ways. And, we'll, and I think other other uh, people who talk will will bring some of those things up. But I want to refresh your memory on. Uh, on that building and, and then in the hopes when if something comes up in the future then that the city looks to work with the the veterans groups to to help improve that facility things like like bringing the kitchen back to life and and some things things like that um, you know the building was transferred in the late 90s 1996 and there was a resolution resolution then that was passed and I want to read a couple a couple of the uh, provisions out of that I think I got enough time that, that reiterate the city's commitment to that building and the veterans groups and their use of that building. So this, again, this was resolution 12737 back in 96. And one of the whereases were, whereas the city of Alameda acknowledges the extreme bravery and valor demonstrated by the veterans in the service to their country and acknowledge the great debt owed to the veterans by the city of Alameda and the nation at large. And whereas the city 
Whereas the use of the Veterans Memorial Building by the City of Alameda will not unduly interfere with the continued access to and reasonable use of the building by the veterans. Be it therefore resolved that the City Council agrees and assures that upon transfer of the Veterans Memorial Building to the City of Alameda, all rights granted to the veterans under California Military and Veterans Code for the continued access to and reasonable use of the Alameda Thank Veterans you, Mr. Memorial Bezik, Building your time shall be preserved. Our yep. next speaker. Thank you. Thank you. Don Kelleher. Welcome, Speaker Kelleher. Good evening. Good evening. And you go ahead and bring that microphone down where it's good for you. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. you ring? We can. Okay. Uh, I'm Don Kelleher. I'm also a member of Post 647. I was born in Alameda February 22, 1943. Uh, I graduated from SNL High School in June of 1960. I enlisted in the Air Force in September of 1960. I was honorably discharged in 64. Um, I like being a civilian better than I like being in the military, but I am a veteran. Uh, and I'd like to thank you for giving me this opportunity to say a few words. In the past, um, I've actually voted for some of you. <laughs> And one of you, I actually gave uh, the mother a ride to church. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I just want to add my voice and vote to taking care of the building. And uh, over the years, uh, it, it's uh, suffered some benign neglect. And um, as a young veteran, uh, I wasn't a member of the American Legion, but I remember having a beer in the bar. I remember being a member of a chess club, and we used to play there, chess there. And um, there were, it was it was good times. And then and they had bingo games and pancake breakfasts, but I wasn't interested in that at, at that time. And uh, I just like to see the the building restored and have it reflect the proud history that is significant for America. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, we'll go to two remote uh, speakers. First is Jay Garfinkel. Welcome, Speaker Garfinkel. Thank you. Good evening. Last At the last meeting, you entertained a project proposed by the planning department regarding Park Street and Webster Street. There was a whole lot of chaotic discussion, and eventually a vote was taken. I've reviewed the uh, video a couple of times, and I can't tell what you voted on. Now, I know the city clerk, she's very uh, uh, qualified, very uh, competent, and I'm sure she'll come up with something to put in minutes that may eventually one day come to the council for approval. I do want to point out, though, that the main issue, you thought as complying with the request of the, of the business associates, associations and creating and continuing the parklets. For most of us here in Alameda, I don't think we give a damn about the parklets. We care about the general safety. We would like to see Park Street and Webster Street return to their pre-pandemic uh, configurations. Uh, the changes were temporary, and now by uh, uh, a death through a thousand cuts, they're gonna be made per, uh, permanent. At the very least, the, the uh, residents of Alameda should have the opportunity to express an opinion. 
planning department frequently uses statistically non-significant uh, surveys in order to support their uh, proposed projects. Here's the opportunity to poll, to poll virtually every household in the city, 70,000 residents or whatever have you. Let's hear from the residents of Alameda uh, as to would they like to see Park Street and Webb Street remain two lanes in each direction? Or they want it to continue to be throttled and impacting the safety. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. It's a telephone caller remotely. Um, the last uh, three digits are 897, and hopefully they will be unable able to unmute. Welcome, caller 897. You should be able to speak, it looks like. Do we need to do our usual admonition about recent Zoom? Well, updates? a telephone caller Physical wouldn't be calling. using the Zoom, so that's what, I, it looks like they were able to unmute by hitting star six, but now I don't know why they're not speaking. Well. Okay, well I can go back to calling in person and then try them again. I will note that there was a um, Zoom update Oh, thank yesterday. you for the other yeah. participants, yes. Um, so uh, the next uh, speakers are, um, Wavita Walker, an anonymous speaker, and Todd Hickman. Um, I'm sorry, the first one was Hovita Walker. Walker. Welcome, Speaker Walker. Speaker Walker, Hovita Walker. Uh oh. The case oh. of the vanishing speaker? Oh, you're in person, maybe? Yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't sorry. realize. Okay. She's coming up. Oh, I get it. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hi, sweetheart. Stay back by mommy, okay? Stay by mommy, please. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Javita Walker. I'm a resident of Alameda Point Collaborative. I'm disabled physically with sight issues as well as respiratory problems. I'm asking the mayor and the city council to help me with my housing issue. I have tried for over a year, sending emails, making phone calls to Alameda Point Collaborative to transfer me to another unit and replace me on the priority list within the city of Alameda. The court awarded me a protective order against my harasser in March of 23. I have submitted my court order for transfer to Alameda Point Collaborative. I feel that Alameda Point Collaborative is retaliating against me and has served me with a 10-day vacate notice and it's threatening to evict me because I am asking for a new unit where I feel safe. I am currently living in a shelter because I don't feel safe for my residents. In addition, I went home to retrieve a few articles only to find my TV missing. I made a police report. I'm respectfully asking for the mayor's help in resolving my issue. Thank, thank you, Ms. Walker. Thank you. And, and I, I do know that city staff will continue working with you. 
But that's just it. No one has been helping me. You had Marcy Johnson to help me, and Marcy Johnson wasn't able to help me. It seemed like she was teaming up with the executive director and the director, and they stated that they had a restraining order from my harasser on file, but um, self-help has called me and told me it was never granted, so I don't know what to believe now. Thank you. I have a legitimate restraining order. Thank you. And, and staff, we have all the necessary contact information. All right. Thank you for coming tonight. Come on, Mama. Come on. Anonymous speaker is up next. All right. Good yes. E Good um, evening. Good evening. Um, I just want to say that I am a resident of the city of Alameda. Um, I um, have been working with Ms. Walker. I'd rather not say where I work and what I do uh, because I'm not here in that uh, capacity. Uh, but I am, I just happened to glance tonight at her 10-day uh, notice to terminate property. Uh, I also uh, have been involved with this uh, in over a year. Okay, so uh, the reason why I am coming tonight is, quite frankly, I am um, disappointed and uh, outraged at some of the stuff that I'm reading in this. As an example, um, I was going to attend a meeting with her, uh, with her um, just to provide her support on June 14, 2023, and I did call in and I spoke to somebody and they said that that was an informal meeting and when they have a more formal meeting with her that I could you know, attend with her, uh, but that was just informal. Well, what this is saying as an example is that the meeting was, was held with her and, and she refused to participate in the meeting. Uh, she is simply asking to move from a place that she considers unsafe. She has filed a petition uh, with the, uh, one of the courts in uh, Alameda County and she was, uh, and her uh, order was, was granted. Then they talk about in this same thing that, uh, that this person who I won't name filed a petition. Well, the person did file I'm a petition. I'm sorry, um, no, Speaker, but your, your time is up. But Thank the you. The person did file Thank a petition. Thank you. And we do have city staff in the op in uh, chambers who you may want to connect with. All right. Um, um, assistant city manager, if you can make that happen, perhaps. Okay. Um, and Madam Clerk, our next speaker. Todd Hickman. Uh, welcome, Speaker Hickman. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here tonight, particularly in person. This was a long time coming. We're not that far away from the dark days when we were all just blanked out faces on the screen and certain city officials had the power of the mute button just to dismiss us randomly without cause. And now here we are, a 
huge group of people, smiling faces, some not so smiling faces, but we are a huge group of people here expressing the power of the people, which is the most important thing. I've always said that in my professional experience that the people have the power, it's not the elected officials. So again, this is fabulous to be here in person and to see all of this. Um, the hybrid is an excellent meeting process as well because it still allows people to participate via Zoom and they still have power, those of us here in the audience actually prevent bad behavior um, from elected officials and muting us and that type of stuff. So again, this has really come a long way um, from the dark days. We were the last jurisdiction to get rid of the strictly Zoom process, which was a terrible thing for the people. So here we are today, um, refreshed, vibrant, and all these issues can come to light. I would particularly like tonight to side with the veterans. As a disabled combat veteran myself, these issues are very near and dear to me. I find it appalling that um, I see things, I see money being spent. Let's just take emergency, Office of Emergency Services got a $143,000 piece of artwork in front of their building and um, the Veterans Memorial Building can't even get a bathroom that's suitable for the ladies to use. So what's wrong with this picture? What are you gonna do about this? It's time to make some progress. I mean, the Navy did build this town. Um, the Navy, the military, the veterans organizations deserve respect, and I don't see it coming from this council at this time. So I would hope that you would um, dig deep, find some compassion and power in your souls, and give the veterans some money. Thank you. Thank you, our next speaker. We, we can try that remote speaker sure. again. Um, calling from 897. If they can hit star six to unmute. They've unmuted. Good, Yay. Good evening. There you are. Hi. Hi. <laughs> My name is Ismael Matos, and I'm a tenant of South Shore Apartments. Uh, uh, South Shore tenants appreciate your vote to include the South Shore CIP in the current moratorium on decisions around capital improvement plans. And we think this was a fair decision, especially since it was the protest and petition from South Shore tenants that brought CAP issues to the attention of the council. Also, we're glad that you acknowledge that the current CAP law is flawed and are taking time to consider different options to discuss in the fall. We want also you to know that we are counting on the South Shore CAP being included in whatever decision you come to whether you reform the current law to provide more tenant protection or decide to abolish CIP altogether in Alameda. To treat the South Shore CIP differently or to exclude it from new CIP decisions will not be fair, given that South Shore tenants are the only Alameda renters who are facing the imminent threat of being displaced by a large monthly pass-through fee. And this with uh, all other issues of applicability, health and safety at South Shore, uh, has caused an enormous amount of anxiety on South Shore apartment tenants. We appreciate your understanding and support and trust. You will make good decisions. And thank you very much, and have a good night. Thank you, you as well. Our next speaker? That was our last speaker. Okay, so with that, we will close oral communications on non-agenda items, and we will move to the consent calendar. So what I'm looking for, um, these are routine items that can be approved by one motion. Uh, members of the public may speak for up to two minutes on the entire calendar and simply, um, uh, and, and council members can remove items as well and speak for up to five minutes on each item. So, and we have a speaker slip. Okay, so let's have our speaker. Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman.
Welcome back. Yes. Are you starting the clock? Okay, there you go. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back again. Um, I would like to talk about individual items on the consent calendar, but there's too many and I only get two minutes. So that really um, negates the public's power about speaking to these items. This is another big consent calendar. I've been very critical of this in the past. Um, the council packing on, um, it looks like $10 million tonight or more. I didn't have time to punch the math, but um, I think that's wrong when you have a consent calendar with all these different individual items stacking up to over $10 million and being approved in one fell swoop with the public, like myself, only being able to talk about a very limited scope. Um, I was very disappointed with the council when you did not um, change the process to where pulled items were treated like agenda items. So if an item's on the consent calendar and it has enough issues where it's pulled by a council member, again, it should be treated like a regular agenda item and the public should have a chance to speak. So again, here I am, there's a bunch of items on there I wanna speak about, but I only have two minutes, we're down to less than a minute. Um, so this really is a problem. I hope the council would revisit that concept and that issue and do the right thing. Um, may I remind you that in the last year, we've only had two unanimous votes on the consent calendar. 5-0 with nothing being pulled. Um, in the real world, a consent calendar should be structured to where there are no confrontational issues on the consent calendar and nothing is pulled by the council members because everything truly is a um, regular routine um, consent calendar type item. But again, in the last year, we've only had two 5-0 votes with nothing being pulled. So I believe what the city is doing here is fundamentally wrong, conceptually wrong, um, and I would hope, again, that you would revisit this and the council members that denied the public would get online, on board, and fix this. Thank, Thank you. you. Our next speaker. That was our last speaker. Okay, we will close public comment on the consent calendar. And um, if there are no items to be pulled, I'm looking for a motion to approve the consent calendar. I would like to pull items. Okay, um, Councilmember Harris Spencer, which items? 5C, 5E, 5I, and I want to register a no vote on 5K and 5L. And um, no on 5. Okay. Um, okay, those items pulled. Any other pulls? Hearing none, I would like to make a proposal to the council. Um, we have a really meaty agenda um, of regular agenda items ahead of us. I'd like to suggest that we make a motion to approve the balance of the consent calendar now and then move those, I think I called, I counted three items. Move those three items um, to the end of the regular agenda and that way we make sure we get through our regular agenda items first. And I actually want to pull 5K and 5L, if you're going to handle them that I'm, way. I'm so sorry. Tell me, uh, okay, let's start from the beginning again. Council member. 5K and 5L, I want to add to the items okay, being pulled. Okay, you want 5C as in cat. 5C. E. Edward. 5E. Okay. 5I. I, got it. 5K. Um, are you just registering a no vote on No, it? I'm going to pull the item. If you're going to put them okay, at the back yeah, of the we'll calendar, the I'm just end. going to pull okay. them. That's fine. So that's Happy fine. to do that. So Five uh, L. <coughs> mm -hmm. Anything else? <laughs> I'll pull a five N. Okay. All right. So um, yeah, um, 
I'm going to make that motion, okay. um, except for I would like to make sure that 5K um, and 5L are heard before the other items that were pulled. Okay. All right. I have a motion. Do I have a second? Second. All right. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Oh, yeah. Aye. Uh, just a comment. Um, I, I'm sorry. Did you vote? It's a comment. Yes. Um, comment. Um, Yes, uh, the comment is um, if we're changing items on the agenda, we probably should have done it at number two, um, where we have a specified section called agenda changes. Um, but, you know, given the number of people uh, who are here, especially to listen to two things, um, I would certainly support it, but in the future. Yeah, and I, I could do that, um, Councilmember, just as a blanket motion, I, or Vice Mayor, excuse me. Um, I, if it had just been one, maybe two pulled items, I, I think that would have been reasonable, but when the majority of the consent calendar is being pulled, I really don't want to um, hold up all the public speakers who are in the audience, and those are just the ones that are physically here. I imagine we have some remotely. Councilmember Jensen? Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, yes, to Vice Mayor Desog's point, I also would have... Um, I, I'm not sure I would have approved this motion or seconded it if it had been one item or two. I would have preferred to have had the consent items heard as per the agenda, but with pulling um, 60 or more percent of the items, I, I agree that we should listen at the I'm end saying, and, and hear our regular yeah. agenda. I items think we're saying the same thing, Councilman. I'd like All to right. respond. All right. Um, actually, there are actually 14 items on the agenda. Okay, I originally we'll have that only discussion three, when it comes and back. I do okay. think you just let everyone else speak. I think I can also speak. Um, there were 14 items put on consent. I initially only pulled three, and it still was going to all go to the end, and that's not 40%. Three of 14 is not 40%. Are, are you only pulling three, council member? I, I only pulled three initially, but then you pushed them all to the back, in which case I'll just have a discussion okay. on the other ones, too. Okay. But I was initially only registering a no vote. Understood. Perfect. Okay. Um, did we take that vote, Madam Clerk? Okay. Let's vote on the motion. All in favor, signify by stating aye. Yeah. Aye. Aye. Any opposed? No. Motion passes four to one. Okay. With that, um, we move on to a motion to um, approve the balance of the consent calendar. Madam Clerk, can you help me identify what the balance of the consent calendar of is? Of course. Gladly. A, B, D, F, G, H, J, and M. Um, D is in dog, right? Yes. D is in dog. She okay. pulled them. A, B, D. No, N. She pulled N, not M, right? No, D we're approving. Right. I, is D, that that's what I'm saying you're approving. Okay. Yes. A, B, D, F, G, H, J, and M, because N was also pulled. So that's right. not. Okay. Got it. Okay. When, All right. With this stipulation right. that the first ones we will hear are K and L. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, All right. Thank you. And we we did that vote. And it's four to nothing. Right. Four to one. Right. Four to one. Okay. So um, I'm looking for a motion to approve the balance of the consent calendar. So moved. Moved by Councilmember Vela, seconded by Councilmember Vice Mayor. Who's going to second the balance of the consent calendar? This is not controversial. Vice Mayor seconds. May we have um, uh, uh, may we have a vote? Uh, so all in favor of approving the balance of the consent calendar, signify by stating aye. 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 Opposed.
That's a unanimous vote. All right. Madam Clerk, if you would please introduce, oh, this is exciting, and I didn't want to wait for this for, this for too long. Um, what's up next on 7A, Madam Clerk? Adoption of resolutions appointing Andrew Dewey and Lynn Jones as members of the Golf Commission, Catherine Beeler and Kathleen Bondsmith as members of the Commissions on Persons with Disability, um, Peter Platzkemer and Liz Rush as members of the Public Art Commission, uh, Kareem Bruni, Wesley Redes, and Drew Swartz as members of the Recreation and Park Commission, and Drew Dar Abrams and Scott Whites as members of the Transportation Commission. It's Whitesy. I'm still oh, learning all their names. Thank um, you. Anyone whose name was just called and who's here in the room, please come forward because, um, well, we, I guess we should do the motion sure. first. Okay, Great. let's make sure we do review. Okay, so um, what I'm looking for is um, a motion to adopt the resolutions appointing Moving. all those individuals. Moved by uh, Councilmember um, Malia Vela and seconded by... Uh, Councilmember Tracy Jensen, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? That motion uh, passes unanimously. And I just want to thank you. Last night I was at the uh, Public Utilities Board meeting to thank an outgoing Public Utility Board member for um, her eight years of service. And all of you, come on forward. Don't be shy. It's just great to see you. It's great to see you in person, because mostly I've just met you on screen. Um, but you are giving of your time and talent. You are all busy um, working people. Some of you are returning incumbents, and others of you are new. And you are all immensely talented. And we're so excited to have you um, <laughs> already taking leadership, I see there. Um, we're so excited to have you volunteering um, for these boards and commissions. So, Madam Clerk, take it away. If you'll all raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of California and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of which you're about to enter? All right. So we'll kind of have you guys funnel through and come by and sign after yeah. you make a brief comment. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, and you can each, you, you gave them fair warning, right, that they could just, yeah. Yeah, so come on up and introduce yourself. Maybe, how about if the, yeah, come on up, Kareem, or introduce yourself. Is this on? Yes. It is. Mayor, City Council members, thank you for the opportunity to join the Alameda Park and Recreation Committee. I am very appreciative of this opportunity to help make my community a better place. Thank you. Thank you, we thank you. This is Kareem Burney from Recreation and Parks. And next up, that's Mr. Swartz. Hi, Drew Swartz. Figured I'd follow also yeah. <laughs> uh, Recreation and Parks. Um, as the mayor mentioned, uh, I have a strong background in aquatic. So um, I was a collegiate swimmer, uh, current Alameda master swimmer, uh, lifeguard, uh, master swim coach till recently up in Oakland Hills. Um, I have an almost two-year-old, so we uh, use the parks on a uh, you know weekly basis. And really excited to um, you know make a great parks and rec department for him growing up um, and for everyone at Alameda. Thank you so much, and you and you've met your colleague now. Okay, next up, golf commissioner. I think. Hi, Hi. thank you so much for including me in the uh, golf commission. My name is Lynn Jones. I'm a mediocre golfer. <laughs> But uh, now she tells us. Oh. Well, but I'm passionate about the wonderful uh, uh, facility that we have um, in the Chukarika, and I look forward to serving our community and just continuing to grow that um, wonderful uh, facility. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, we'll hold applause till the end, and we'll never get out of here. Good evening. Uh, Madam Mayor, Council Andrew Dewey joining the Golf Commission. Excited yeah. to be a part of that as well. 
looking forward to helping shape the future of golf in Alameda, and I appreciate that sharing my golf handicap was not a requirement for me. <laughs> <laughs> you got in. Uh, good evening. Hi, Liz Rush, uh, Vice Chairman of the Public Arts Commission. I look forward to another couple years of completing our public arts master plan. Mm -hmm. We've worked hard on this, and I'm looking forward to implementing it. So thank you all very much. Thank you. We're looking forward to that, too. Come on, Drew. <laughs> Hi, Mayor, Council Members. Uh, Drew Dara Abrams, and thanks for the opportunity to uh, join the Transportation Commission. Looking forward to uh, joining the folks on the commission. Uh, uh, a really great staff team here, a great consultant team, uh, as well as uh, you all in increasing safety, decreasing uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and really um, just helping to take a real uh, holistic view at um, access throughout Alameda. So thanks very much. Thank you. Come on up. Dr. Vaughn Smith. Kathleen, hi. Hi there. My name is Kathleen Vaughn Smith. I'm an assistant clinical professor at pediatrics at UCSF, and I am very excited to join the Commission on Persons with Disabilities and help increase equity and inclusion in our city. Thank you so much. And a mother of two little ones, I understand. Probably park users, too. <laughs> Good evening. Madam Mayor, uh, council members, my name is Peter Platzkummer. I am uh, Looking forward to working with your really wonderful staff on uh, working on the master plan for the Arts Commission for a second term. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So with that, we have our new members um, of all these commissions and just have a great time getting to know each other and helping continue to make Alameda such a great place to live, work, and play. So thank you so much. All right. Yeah. Give them a round of applause. All right. So as the clerk, um, thanks so much, everybody. And we catch out reasonably early. Um, as the clerk noted at the beginning of the meeting, uh, we're not going to hear item 7B tonight. Um, so we move on to item 7C. And if you could introduce that, and if staff for 7C would come on up, that would be great. Absolutely. Um, so the, this is approval and updated design for the Grand Street Safety Improvement Project uh, from Shoreline Drive to Clement Avenue, an allocation of funds for design and construction of the project from Shoreline Drive to Encinal Avenue uh, by approving a recommendation to approve an updated design for the Grand Street Safety Improvement Project for a continuous two-way bike lane from Shoreline Drive to Clement Avenue and to invalidate and set aside all prior decisions regarding the Grand Street Safety Improvement Project concept and plan previously addressed at City Council meetings on October 4th, 2022. October 18th, 2022, and November 1st, 2022, and adoption of a related resolution. All right. Thank you, and welcome. Good evening, Mayor Ashcraft, Vice Mayor Desog, members of the Council, Andrew Thomas, Planning um, Interim Base Peace and <laughs> Economic Development Director. Trick question. That's just confusing. <laughs> I'm here to just uh, introduce the staff um, recommendation. I'm going to be followed by our um, consultant uh, David Preci will help us present, and then we'll conclude with um, City Manager Ott. Um, the next slide, please. Um, so just background, just to kind of orient everyone. Back in November of 2022, the council did approve a restriping proposal plan that staff recommended, um, which included a two-way bikeway on the east side of Grand Street. Uh, between Shoreline and Otis. This is in front of Wood School. And then the second part of that decision was to do a one-way park 
walking bollard protected bikeway on each side of the street from Otis to Ensenal. Um, and at that time, we had no recommendation for what to do from Ensenal to Clement. Um, since that decision in November, staff retained um, our um, consultant, Mr. Parisi, um, and engaged the community in really looking at a couple things. One, we had to look at the, the other half of Grand Street, the portion from Ensenal to Clement. Like, what was the design going to be for the rest of the street? Um, number two, we wanted to look at those, you know, see how that would all fit together, but we also took some of the um, limitations off of our, of our uh, prior um, study, and we sort of opened up and said, well, let's see if we changed our budget considerations and didn't limit it to a, just a restriping, which also means we're, we weren't limiting ourselves just to the curb-to-curb -curb constraints of a restriping project. As a result, we developed four design options, which we'll present to you tonight. We also benefited from a number of community workshops, which gave us a lot of good input from the, from the community and, of course, the Transportation Commission. Next slide, please. Um, just a quick intro. Why, why so much time and effort on Grand Street? Why is it so important? Well, as you know, one, it's one of the only uh, streets in, in central Alameda that goes from the northern shoreline to the southern shoreline continuously. Next slide, please. It's also critical to our overall citywide transportation network. You can see in this diagram how particularly to create a low-stress citywide network, it's, it's really a sort of a central feature of that to create that north-south connection between all of our east-west connections. Next slide, please. And it runs right down the heart of the Wood Middle School enrollment area. So all of the um, uh, kids going to that school are going to have to use Grand Street in some way or another, whether they're walking, biking, or in automobiles. And finally, it is a high injury corridor. It's identified as a high injury corridor by the city of Alameda. And when we did our studies for the vision, zero action plan. It's also identified by the county of Alameda in their county-wide plan as a high injury corridor and by our regional transportation agency, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, in all of their studies of the entire region. Um, just as a sort of data points in over the last nine to ten years, 2013 to 2022, 39% of the bicyclists injured in collisions on Grand Streets were youth under the age of 18, and 86% of the pedestrians injured or killed on Grand Street collisions were, were people over 65 years of age. So um, we're really thinking about all users of this street. Next slide, please. So what are we here tonight? As, as your clerk said, we, we're here for two reasons. We are asking you to approve a new uh, design for the full length. The result of our work is that we have a recommendation for the full length, all the way from Shoreline Drive to Clement Avenue, and we're recommending that it be a continuous two-way bikeway. So we're retaining your decision from November 22 for the first portion um, from Shoreline to, to Otis in front of Wood School, and we're recommending that instead of what you decided in November of last year, that you change that decision, set that aside, and go with a new plan which would continue the two-way bikeway the full length 
not just to Encinal, but all the way to Clement Avenue. And we would like to start construction on that immediately. We'd like to start construction for the first portion in 2024 and the second portion, Otis to Encinal in 2025. We believe we can do that with mostly local funds if you appropriate the 4.675 million, that's 3.37 million in new funding to complete the design and construction of this two-way bikeway pedestrian intersection improvements from Shoreline Drive to Encinal Avenue. So what I'd like to do now is turn it over to David to talk about the different alternatives and, and why we are making this recommendation. Thank you, welcome Mr. Parisi. Thank you, good evening Mayor and Council Members. I'm David Parisi, a traffic and civil engineer with uh, Parametrics and our firm was asked to uh, look at the the, the alternative you, you approved last November and also consider some additional options. Um, am I in charge of the slides? <laughs> you, you can Next advance slide, them please. if you want. I don't know, I'm free not to be. <laughs> you can delegate, that's good. <laughs> Excellent. <clears throat> All right, uh, about eight months ago, as Andrew mentioned, the uh, council approved a two-way bikeway for about 1,400 feet or a uh, quarter mile between Shoreline and Otis. We're calling that uh, segment A and that would be on the um, uh, east, side, uh, east side of the street next to Wood School, two-way bikeway. Uh, segment B was approved for a one-way bikeway on each side of the street, um, parking or baller protector meandering <coughs> up the street uh, on the about 2,300 feet or about four-tenths of a mile between Otis and Ensenal. That's what we're calling segment B. And then finally, segment C um, really wasn't looked at at the time. And could I just ask, did you want to advance the slides so it's showing on page four that has those, or is that not the time to do this yet? No, the, uh, actually, we'll stay right here. Okay, right, we'll okay, okay. Great. The segment C is actually the bulk of the quarter. Uh, it's about six-tenths of a mile, 3,200 feet, and there was no decision at that point in time. So we, we took a little closer look at that uh, when we were looking at all three additional alternatives. So alternative one that was considered was to, um, again, retain segment A with a two-way bikeway on the east side of the street <clears throat> as previously approved, but continue that all the way to the north to Clement with a raised bikeway um, between um, Encinal and Clement. Alternative two is a brand new idea, which was to have a raised uh, two-way bikeway, <clears throat> sorry, raised bikeways on each side of the street, one, one direction between Otis and Clement. And then alternative three, between Otis and Clement having what we call an enhanced raised one-way bikeway. And I'll show you what these look like uh, momentarily. But under all alternatives, one, two, and three, it would retain what you approved previously between Shoreline and Otis with the, the two-way bikeway against the school. Next slide, please. Uh, as you can see here, this quickly compares uh, the alternatives against uh, six criteria. All four, including council-approved design, would be very similar in that they'd have two travel lanes, two automobile travel lanes, one each direction. They would include pedestrian improvements, and they would include a low-stress separated bike bikeway as well. Now, the three alternatives that we looked at, again, between Otis and uh, Clement, would all have some enhanced features. They would actually raise the bikeway, either on one side or on both sides of the street. And where it would be different than the council-approved design is that actually parking would be uh, preserved against the curb on both sides of the street, all the way from Otis to Clement. Uh, and the, by doing that, the curb width, uh, the, the street width would be narrowed a little bit to the typical dimensions of local streets in uh, Alameda, uh, which would also provide some additional enhancements from a standpoint of traffic calming and reduced speeds. 
Next slide, please. So this is the uh, council-approved uh, design for um, for Grand between Shoreline and Otis Drive. It was the one that was approved in November 2022, including uh, bollard-protected uh, bikeway against the east side of the street next to Wood School. This is fully funded. Uh, it is under design. It will be ready for construction in 2024. It uh, has strong community support, and we're not recommending any changes for this segment of the street. Next slide, please. What caught, council also looked at eight months ago was um, continuing uh, a design that actually would have white bikeways on each side of the street, one lane in each direction for the bikeway, meandering between Otis and Encinal. Um, parking would be on one side or the other. It would meander up the street, stagger a bit. And of course, what this would mean would be uh, parking would be, parking supply uh, would be reduced. Um, and this could be ready for construction in 2024. I, I do want you to look at the diagram uh, right here. It shows parking either on one side of the street or on the other. Uh, bikeways would be protected by that parking or by just uh, plastic bollards. And here is a visualization of what that uh, could look like if, if this design was extended even further north. Uh, was that the 10 minutes? Mr. Preci, how much time do you think you'd like? Because I think we could get a council vote to extend your, your time. Uh, probably four or five more minutes. Okay, council, possible. can I have a motion uh, to give him five more minutes? So moved. It's moved by Councilmember Jensen. I believe it's seconded by the Vice Mayor Daysock. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed, any abstains? That measure passes. Motion passes unanimously. Five minutes. Thank you. So if this uh, design was extended further north to Clement, again, which is about six-tenths of a mile, um, here's what it would look like. What we did determine, that segment between Encinal and Clement has shorter blocks and many more driveways. Uh, also, higher parking demands. The parking take would be even uh, higher than what we would see mm -hmm. between Otis and Encinal. It would be about 60 to 75% of the on-street parking would be lost if this design was continued to the north. So the three alternatives. Alternative one would be to move the curb about 11 feet uh, to the west to create a two-way raised bikeway on the east side of the street. This section here is looking at the street as if you're looking to the south, looking southerly. The street width would be reduced from about 48 feet to about 37 feet, and parking would be maintained on both sides of the street against the curb. Next slide will show uh, a visualization of what this could look like. Again, you're seeing this looking to the south, a two-way bikeway with a two-foot separation, um, and then two traffic lanes, one in each direction with parking against the curbs. Next slide. Uh, we see many benefits of this, continuing a, a continuous two-way bikeway between Clement and Shoreline, all along the east side of the street, allow people to bike uh, and, and pass each other. Uh, if there's a slow-moving cyclist during school times, kids could ride side by side. Um, there would be parking separation. There would be new intersection improvements as well. At signalized intersections, there would be bike lights. At non-signalized intersections, the crosswalk and the bikeway would be raised. Uh, there would not be use of any plastic bollards. There'd be less striping on the street. And as I mentioned, parking would be at the curbs, and it would not be out from the curbs. And the parking loss would be substantially less, about 5 to 15%. 
Uh, the previous slide shows uh, another alternative we looked at, which would actually bring the curbs in on both sides of the street instead and provide one-way bikeways raised on each side of the street. Um, street width would also be reduced. Parking, again, would be allowed on both sides of the street. As shown in the next slide, this is how it would look, as you can see here. Uh, again, one lane in each direction, parking on both sides of the street, uh, and a bike lane in each side of the street. Now, as shown on this diagram, the bike lanes would be pretty narrow. It would be very difficult for cyclists to pass each other, uh, and the buffer between the parked cars and the bike lane would also be pretty, pretty skinny. We just want to point that out. Next slide. And then finally, we looked at an alternative, uh, which would really be if we were master planning the street from scratch. Uh, it would provide one-way bikeways on each side of the street, um, but on the other side of, um, but right next to the sidewalk. Uh, it would require, however, the removal of all the mature trees, undergrounding of the utilities, and would be very, very expensive uh, to undertake. Next slide. Thank you. So uh, it would definitely provide a lot of separation. It would continue to allow um, parking at the curbs. As I mentioned, it would take a long time. Uh, and it would re remove all the mature trees and re require replacing those. Slide, please. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it back to your, to your city manager to wrap up. OK. Minute and a half. Go for yeah. it. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. Um, uh, we already went over this a little bit, but we did look at the total project cost. We want to make sure that you knew that we'd, we'd looked at that. And then in terms of funding, what we're asking for is funding to get us to Encinal Avenue using local sources of funds, because that is what the previous project had looked all the way from Shoreline to Encinal. Um, so we are based both on co some cost escalation as well as a, slight, a slightly more expensive alternative because we're moving that curb in. Um, we're looking at a total project cost of about $7 million um, and an additional project allocation of $3.375 million. And two of that is coming from the general fund residual fund balance. Even after we, so I just want to make sure on that, we, with the policy the council adopted and preserving a 25% reserve policy, after the allocation of that $2 million, we're still at $26 million of residual fund balance above and beyond the 25%. So I do want you to know that we are being, we're looking at that. The finance director reviewed this uh, recommendation and we are, we are making sure that we have sufficient fund balance available. The NCNL to Clement um, only is $7.7 .7 million. That we are not asking for any funding at this point, and we will plan on doing what we do with all of our other bike facilities, go after grants, and our team is really very great at doing this. So we do expect that we'll be able to get additional funding to try to implement that NCNL to Clement portion. Um, but right now we're not asking for any funding related to that. Next slide. Uh, you can keep going. Um, I, you know, I think we can uh, vote a few more minutes for our city manager, can't we? What do you need? Five, three? I would just go over this one minute. I'm um, just going to go over the recommendation, but I'm happy to Let's give her three. Do I have too. a motion to add three minutes? Uh, Vice Mayor Desa, seconded by Councilmember Jensen. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Three minutes. Great. All right, thank you, Mayor. I just want to sum up our recommendation. Um, staff is looking to um, update the design here. Um, looking, again, as it was already mentioned, from Shoreline to Otis, keeping that design the same as what was approved before, but updating the design from Otis to Encinel. Um, 
and in considering all the way to Clement, we are invalidating and setting aside all prior decisions regarding Grand Street Safety Improvement Project concept and plans that were previously made, made by the council at council meetings on October 4th, 2022, October 18th, 2022, and November 1st, 2022. Um, and then we're also asking you to adopt a resolution to amend the budget to be able to fully fund the project through NSNL. Thank you. Thank you. Two minutes and 20 seconds to go. All right, thank you very much. Do we, I know we've got public speakers on this. Do we have any council clarifying questions at this point? Uh, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, staff. I appreciate um, your presentation. I just wanted to follow up. There were improvements at the intersection of Otis and Grand um, in 2021. I had asked staff in advance, um, you know, if they could give us some information in regards to the data of any accidents since uh, those improvements at that intersection, because the definition of the high corridor includes accidents going back to 2009, which, and there have been multiple improvements. Uh, yeah, I have that information. So there have not been any severe injury or fatal crashes that have occurred at either location since those improvements were made. Um, there was, State data shows that there was one injury crash at Otis and Grand since the improvements, um, and a moderate uh, injury pedestrian crash in April of 2021. Okay, so I had actually wanted to be able to review those numbers. Do you have the numbers of any other accidents that have happened on Grand since 2018? So 19, 20, 21, and 22, I believe those four years yeah. that are severe or fatal? There, there, we don't have that data because of the, we have the severe and fatal, which I just gave you, but we also, in, in our high injury quarter, include moderate injuries, and that is something that would have taken more time. We didn't, I think you requested that today. We didn't have time to go back and look at all the moderate injury um, crashes as well, which is what we use to calculate a high injury corridor. All right, thank you. I also want to follow up. In, you have a slide, though, there, where there's um, some data, on, uh, number six, page six, uh, collisions on Grand Street disproportionately affect youth and elders, 2013 to 22 data, and you have percentages, but you don't have any, any underlying raw data that supports that. Do you have the n raw number of, because it's 39% of bicyclists injured in collisions were youth under age 18, 86% of pedestrians injured or killed in collisions were elders age 65 and over? I don't have that data in front of me. Okay, so. But those um, percentages are based on data though. That's not available to the public or council members in advance of a meeting, correct? They were not included in the staff report. All right, uh, thank you. So I also wanted to follow up. Um, does anyone know, uh, uh, what the definition of a high injury corridor is and if our city would even, this street would uh, still be designated that based on what definition, if you don't include the accidents that were prior to the improvements that the city's already made. Yeah, so what I, I do have, that in, what I understand is in order, for the way that we develop a high injury corridor includes severe, fatal, and moderate. Um, and that information to get at the moderate is more time consuming to do, and so we don't have that information at this point. Um, but we know through 2018 that there were severe and fatal crashes along Grand, um, and that that was included. And then we know that other jurisdictions have also labeled this a high injury corridor as well. Okay, I just wanna, I, I, if I understood correctly though, my question earlier was, were there any severe or fatal injuries at the intersections of Grand and Otis or Grand and Shoreline? Uh, 
since the improvements that the city has made? Not at Grand and Shoreline, and then since improvements at Otis were completed um, in spring of 2021, no. Right, at those two intersections. All right, um, and so staff still thinks this is a high injury corridor? Yes. And, but you don't have data to support that? We have data up through 2018 to support that, and we have other jurisdictions. And, and I will say, I just want to be clear, this isn't just because it's a high injury corridor. One of the main reasons, as you saw, was it's a continuous north-south connector between the Cross Alameda Trail on Clement and the two-way bike tra trail on Shoreline. So we actually think it's a great way to recreationally to connect to the city. And then you also saw the enrollment area to make sure that we're connecting Wood School with the larger enrollment area. So there's, we don't just usually rely on one piece of data, but a lot of different information. There's a lot of reason to recommend this to be uh, a continuous bikeway. Okay, and the class two painted bike lanes, we also have them on other streets that go to schools that children and adults actually ride on them to get to school. Um, Broadway, Lincoln, Encinal, of course, uh, Otis. Um, why do class two painted bike lanes work on those streets that children ride on to get to schools, but they're not sufficient for Grand Street? Well, we can have our consultant talk about the benefits of this. I don't think it's a matter of that we just wanna do what other, I mean, we're trying to create this north-south connection that connects two off-street trails. I mean, both you have, or the two um, cross Alameda Trail, and we're trying to do, the, based on the information that we have the best facility that we can. So it's not that we want to just do what some other street does, but we look at the individual customized, you know, constraints and opportunities of a particular area and make a recommendation based on that. Mr. Parisi, would you like to add to that? Sure, thank you. Um, so typical bike lanes, which are called class two bike lanes, are, are separated by a four or six inch wide white stripe from ongoing traffic. Uh, vehicles can also park against a curb uh, by going in and out of those bike lanes. The type of bikeways that we're uh, looking at, and the alternatives one, two, and three tonight, are called class four separated or protected bikeways that are uh, protected from cars moving in and out, driving alongside, um, and are de definitely less stressful and safer for all, for all users, and they've been proven uh, to be that way. So that is, we're looking at a low stress, um, network for cyclists between 8 and 80 years old um, that can, uh, again, connect Clement with Shoreline. Thank you. Anything further, Council Yes, Member? the disabled parking, will, will it be on both sides of the street? And will it be 8 feet wide? Under alternative 1, 2, and 3, yes. Under the staff's alternative of 1, I think. Yes, yes, it would be. It will be 8 feet wide for the disabled parking. Yes, yes, it can be. And um, for disabled parking, for any of the alternatives, and particularly the uh, staff recommended option, um, that could be provided with a uh, space for disabled people to get in and out of their cars. There can be some provisions for moving the curb uh, slightly uh, as the project goes through further design. All right, and so um, the proposal of having the cycle track on the uh, east side of the street uh, people that are disabled that live on that side to get to their car if they park on the street, then they walk over the sidewalk, then they walk over the green belt, and then they walk through a cycle track. Is that a two-way cycle track to get to their car? Yes, um, and there's a possibility of, within those areas, uh, during design, moving the cycle track a little closer to the sidewalk. So maybe there's not the, the same amount of separation in that uh, landscape area, and then providing more pavement uh, between the bikeway 
in the curb, more than two feet, so that folks can get in and out of their cars uh, even safer. Okay, and when you spoke earlier, you said that students could ride side by side on the cycle track, riding with their friend uh, to school or back from school, correct? Yeah, sure. Okay, so uh, so staff's recommendation, your, your staff is fine with uh, people riding side by side on the cycle track, not staying on just one side, but actually going on both sides? They well, would think, be on both sides if they're side by side. I think the reality is, is kids pretty much do that anyway. So it'd be you know, in a class two bike way, with, if it's five feet wide with a white stripe, uh, versus a two-way cycle track. And there's enough room, it would be a slow moving facility. Um, you know, some of these generally kids are all going to school in 15 minutes in the morning and maybe half an hour in the afternoon, so it's pretty directional uh, on the way to and from school. So, uh, and there'd be a dashed, uh, potentially a dashed stripe on the, on the pathway that allows that. And motorized vehicles can also go on these cycle tracks along with the students that are riding to school, correct? Uh, motorized? Bicycles with motors. Motorized cycle, cycles, um, e-bikes and whatnot, uh, depending on the e-bike classification and the speed that it, it can travel at by law. So some e-bikes can go super fast and it cannot be on, on bikeways. And the bike uh, and e-bikes that are within a certain uh, speed range uh, certainly would be allowed. Although cyclists, those cyclists may decide if they're, if they're fast moving cyclists to use the street and travel with traffic. All right, so bicycles can actually, if you can pull up the picture of the proposed um, alternative A, uh, the bicycles, bicycles could ride, um, which is page uh, 14, bicycles could ride on the sidewalk, on the cycle track, and you just said in the street, as, and, and on both sides of the sidewalk, right? Bicycles can still ride on both sides of the sidewalk. I wouldn't see them on the sidewalk. I don't think there's gonna be much incentive to ride on the sidewalk under this option because you'd have a, a eight, eight to nine foot wide uh, cycle track to ride along. So um, I think right now some kids do ride on the sidewalk and, and other cyclists do. I think there'd be more incentive to use the uh, two-way cycle track. But it would be legal for people to continue to ride their bikes on the sidewalk, correct? I'm not aware of uh, the laws here in uh, regarding sidewalk riding and, you know, what's that? Do we have anyone from staff that's aware of the laws of riding your bike on a sidewalk in Alameda? <laughs> I can pull, I have that information, I can pull it okay, up. Okay, we're not looking for anecdotal evidence, people. <laughs> the <laughs> municipal code would suffice, but, but um, while we're waiting for that information, Mr. Parisi, yes. why do you think someone would choose with uh, this alternative one to um, use the, to use the cycle track rather than say ride on the, the sidewalk? Uh, well, number one, it's, it's, uh, it's wider. Uh, you wouldn't be competing with pedestrians, so you'd, have, you'd be able to ride a, a little faster without interruption. Thank you. Uh, all right, so the less stressful issues that you mentioned and protected and all that. So, so there was another motion that had been uh, approved by council prior to uh, the mayor's that came up in the staff's discussion on October 4th. I had made a motion and uh, the mayor and um, uh, then member Desog had joined, so it passed three to zero. Uh, that was not, uh, it was in the title, but there was no discussion about it. Is there a reason why staff didn't include it in the report as uh, prior motions that we talked about? I believe I believe you're talking about the motion to um, it, it passed three to two and it was 
your motion. It was three to zero. We had two council members walk out as a meeting by that point. That, and that motion, if I remember correctly, was to do the two-way bikeway in front of Wood School and then go back to traditional bike lanes from Otis to um, Ensignal. Painting them, adding pedestrian improvements, flashing beacons at certain intersections, Good. cushions, multiple things like that. Yes, and then a month later, that decision was replaced by the council's next decision, which was to go with the bollard protected. That was the final council decision, so what we were focusing on was in this staff report, how does this recommendation tonight differ from what the council approved at its last meeting? Thank you. Okay, any other clarifying questions? Okay, oh, Vice Mayor Desog. Uh, thank you. Uh, a clarifying question I have has to do with, we received a communication from an Alameda resident uh, residing on, uh, on Grand Street on the, uh, on the east side. Um, so, and it has to do with, um, you know, uh, designing with uh, persons with disabilities in mind. So, um, the way that I'm looking at the design, it seems to be kind of a physically built in place. So you have to you have to know what the cons the, the concerns of individuals uh, or, or or friends of persons with disabilities are ahead of time. Is that correct? So how do we deal with situations like ten years down the line? I mean. Well, the um, shown in the diagram that you previously saw, there'd be a two-way cycle track separated mm -hmm. with uh, at least two feet of um, buffer, and then the curb, and then eight feet of parking. Within that two feet of buffer, it could um, be paved okay. uh, as well. So there's a lot of flexibility and in still where flexibility. parking okay. spaces could be, could be provided. Great, thank you. All for you, Vice Mayor. Okay, so I think we probably have a few public comments. Do we, Madam Clerk? Yes, we do. Um, we do have um, seven or more, so then every speaker will just get two minutes. I'll call the first three. And, and Madam Clerk, before you start, I just want to make sure that everybody who wants to speak on this item, which is 7C, if they want to speak, they've taken out a speaker slip like the clerk is holding up. Okay, so if you, if you did want to speak on this, but you haven't submitted a speaker slip, they're outside at the desk in the hallway. Okay, Thank so you. yes. Okay, our so tutors. our first three in person are um, John Brennan, Denise Trepignier, and Karen Miller. And John's up first. Welcome, Speaker Brennan. Thank you, Council and staff. Uh, my name is John Brennan, and I am speaking on behalf first of Grand Street Neighbors. Uh, a group of people in and around Grand Street. Second, I'll speak on behalf of the Brennan family. Uh, Grand Street Neighbors supports the plans proposed by the City of Alameda and is uh, very appreciative that the staff has re-looked at the plan that was approved twice last fall. Um, and, uh, and we want to express our support for the consistent approach between Grand Street and Otis and Clement um, and believe this will create the safest environment for all modes of transportation. Um, we believe either alternative one or two will work. Some of us prefer alternative one because it uh, continues the two-lane, the two-way bike lane uh, that crosses in front of Wood Middle School. Some of us prefer alternative two because we feel having 
bike lanes are in the same direction of automobile traffic. It's more intuitive, and when people pull out of driveways and side, street, side streets, it'll be safer. But either way, we think either alternative one or alternative two are far superior to the meandering chicane plan previously approved. We believe there are further enhancements that could make the street safer, reduced speeds to 20 miles an hour, four-way stops at the busiest intersections, more enforcement of the speed limit by the Alameda Police Department, um, and, and we would like to see those considered. We further support the plans uh, to, to continue uh, in front of Wood School as previously, as pre previously outlined. Uh, and we want to thank the City Council for doing this and through our support by e either Alternative 1 or 2. Speaking for the Brendan family, we like Alternative 2 because we think it's more intuitive and I worry about drivers uh, at both intersections and driveways not looking in the correct direction with bicycle traffic. Uh, but again, we would support either Alternative 1 or 2. Thank you. And our next speaker? Denise Trepignet. I'm going to hold back on the pronunciation. You say it. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you, Mayor Ashcraft, Vice Mayor Daysog, and Council members. I'm speaking on behalf of Bike Walk Alameda tonight and wanted to emphasize just a couple of points that we made in our letter we sent to you about this project. The first is that we're very excited for this project, but we, sh but we should recognize, compared to what was previously approved for segments A and B, are already significantly delayed. The parents and students who spoke to you the last few times this has come before council were expecting to be able to use these facilities starting next school year. So while we're disappointed in the delay, we do believe this is a good plan. However, it's only a good plan if it gets implemented as quickly as possible. That's why the funding element of this recommendation is just as important as the plan itself. Without secured funding, this project will languish for years. You've heard repeatedly why this corridor is so critical to our network. You've also seen what building a safe facility is meant to ridership at Lincoln, and there's no reason why the Wood kids shouldn't get the same opportunity to ride safely to school as the Lincoln kids have. You've also seen in the letter from Bikey Space stating that a two-way two cycle track is an excellent facility. There's multiple examples of these being successfully implemented around the East Bay and Alameda, but a chain or bike facility is only as strong as its weakest link, which is why it's critical that we get the intersections right. Both signalized and unsignalized intersections will need treatment to ensure that we minimize conflicts. Um, but we're excited to see this plan and hope everyone continues to spend a lot of time and attention on the intersections. In conclusion, we urge you to support staff's recommendation for both the facility and the funding. Thanks for your time this evening. Thank you. Our next speaker. Karen Miller. Welcome, Speaker Miller. Good evening, Mayor and Council members. Um, I live in a block, uh, a block away from Grand Street and have for the last 30 years. I support the original plan that was passed in October. I don't see why a protected bike lane is even being proposed when the conf current configuration is in effect on much busier streets in Alameda, including Broadway, Park, Webster, Santa Clara, and the newly restriped Encinal. One of the justifications that the lanes be protected is that Grand is near school, but so are many of the other streets that I just mentioned. Love School is actually on Santa Clara. The research that I've done recommends that bikes be directed to less traffic streets. In this case, Peru and Union parallel Grand most of the way from Clement to Otis. For the majority of the distance where they don't and you need to cut over to Grand, the bike lanes could be wider as the Grand is wider at the bridge going all the way to Shoreline. I get it that connecting Shoreline to the Cross Alameda Trail could result in increased use, but this is mostly for recreation. If you live anywhere other than South Shore near Grand, you will only be riding on a small portion of the route. I'm not sure why so much additional money is being spent when we have other pressing needs in the city. The abysmal condition of many of our streets and sidewalks could be addressed. 
My sidewalk has been marked for repair since October of 21. That being said, the current proposed plans are much preferred over the chicanes. If we are committed to protected bike lanes in this corridor, I appreciate that the city manager hired a new firm to come up with a plan that addresses Grand Street in its entirety. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker? Um, we'll now go to remote speakers. Uh, the first one is Cindy Johnson. Welcome, Speaker Johnson. Good evening, Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft and members of the council. I'm calling tonight as a board member of Bike Walk Alameda to also urge you to support both of staff's recommendations for this item, the two-way cycle track and the funding strategy that will ensure it gets built as quickly as possible. Grand, and particularly segment B, that gets people across the lagoons are critical to the low-stress network that will enable so many more people to safely make healthier and greener transportation choices. So we really wanted to highlight the importance of staff's recommendation to fund expeditious implementation. As you probably know, the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change recently reported that we're not acting fast enough to avert the worst impacts of climate change. With transportation accounting for 70% of Alameda's greenhouse gas emissions and 55% of Alamedans saying they would drive less and walk, bike or, walk or bike more if they felt safer doing so, the imperative to build a basic network of safe, active transportation as soon as possible is abundantly clear. People want to make better everyday travel choices for themselves and for their families, but understandably won't do it without being safe. Our low stress network has an outsized role here because it's the bare minimum needed for safe con connectivity. Improving Grand and Segment B specifically is a huge opportunity to enable Alamedans to really move the needle on emissions reductions. It's also, of course, a big opportunity to get us closer to our Vision Zero goals and to reduce needless injury. Every day, this is no longer a high injury corridor is an enormous win for our community. Please support staff's design and funding recommendations so we can get a safer grant built without further delay. If there are other ways to speed delivery, we hope you will also explore those. Thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Alex Spear. Welcome, Speaker Spear. Hi, good evening. Hi. Um, I'd like to speak in favor of the Grand Street bike lane stuff. Um, I kind of like alternative two better, but alternative one is fine too. Um, I'm definitely for the fast funding and um, maybe some bike uh, stoplight things to keep people um, to deal with the traffic issues of turns. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, I'll call the next three in person. Uh, Jennifer Chan, Darren Chan, and Zach Bowling with Jennifer up first. Okay. Welcome, um, Speakers Chan. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor and City Council. Uh, when my I name speak is right into that microphone, you oh, can bring okay. it to your level. Great. Sure. Uh, my name is Jennifer Chan. I'm here with my brother, Darren Chan, and we are the children of late Supervisor Wilma Chan, who, as you know, was struck and killed by a vehicle at the intersection of Grand and Shoreline in November 2021. We are here tonight in support of the Grand Street Safety Improvement Project. As the council is aware, in January, we filed a demand letter regarding our mother's tragic and untimely death. We did so because we did not want her death to go in vain and felt it was our only recourse in trying to improve public safety and in doing our part to try to prevent another similar tragedy. Our hope was that the city council would be receptive to meeting with us. Instead, we were extremely disappointed to hear that our intentions for filing the letter have been called into question by some. Our mom, who many of you knew and worked with, was a fighter. She taught us to act with integrity and to do what's right. At the heart of her legacy was a will to support the committee, community and care for those who needed it most. 
Channeling our mother spirit, we are here tonight to advocate for ongoing safety improvements, including additional safety measures at the intersection of Grand and Shoreline specifically. We were both pleased and deeply heartbroken when we learned that Vision Zero published was planned in November 2021, nearly the same day our mother died. We applaud the city for enacting the Vision Zero plan and fully support the efforts to eliminate traffic deaths in Alameda. We only wish the plan had been enacted sooner as it would have resulted in saving our mom's life. To quote the plan, Vision Zero represents a shift in the city's approach to traffic safety. Traffic deaths and serious injuries are no longer viewed as inevitable, but as preventable. The city aims to do this by creating an environment where human error does not cause death or life-altering injury. I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to my brother who also submitted a speaker. Thank, thank you. Good evening. Welcome. Uh, continuing on, in addition to our mom's incident at the intersection, your 2022 Vision Zero report identifies a severe vehicle vehicular injury at the same intersection on January 1st, 2022, less than two months after our mom's death. I can tell you firsthand the dangers of this intersection as I lived in Alameda in 2022 with my then two-year-old son. He was nearly struck and hit by a vehicle at Grand and Shoreline as we were crossing the same intersection. And now my dad lives there on Shoreline near Grand. He is 80 years old, a member of one of the most vulnerable populations identified in your plan and to quote, as disproportionately vulnerable to fatalities and severe death. Based on the Vision Zero plan and data, there is good cause to do more than put a high visibility crosswalk at the intersection to improve safety. In reviewing the Grand Street plan, we see that there are pedestrian safety improvement measures to be implemented, including at Wood Middle School. These improvements call for flashing beacons at the school. As the Vision Zero plan states, added safety measures should be included within a quarter mile of schools. Additionally, the plan identifies Grand and Shoreline as a high crash intersection. We request that at a minimum, the same flashing beacons and bulb outs be installed at the intersection of Grand and Shoreline, which is less than a quarter mile from the school. We also request that the city take into consideration an engineering study at the intersection to review the need for a long-term solution of possibly installing a traffic signal to improve public safety. We implore you to approve this project with our proposed amendments and begin implementation immediately. More than 18 months have passed since our mom's incident and additional accidents have occurred at this intersection. Until this project gets underway, the community will continue to be, higher, be at higher risk of injury and death. There is still not a day that goes by that we do not think about our mom and how her tragic death could have been avoided. Her name and her legacy as a fierce public servant for over 30 years, we want to do anything we can to assure she didn't die in vain. We respectfully ask that you, you, that you improve the safety at this intersection of Grand and Shoreland as part of this Grand, safe, Grand Street Safety Improvement Plan. Thank you. Thank you both. Our next speaker. Zach Bowling. Welcome, Speaker Bowling. Uh, evening, uh, Mayor and Council. Um, I just want to thank staff for investigating these alternatives. I was there at the Mastic meeting, and it was a fantastic meeting. I think staff did a great job answering the questions from the public. Um, and just kind of pulling people at that meeting, I think there was overwhelming support um, for all of these alternatives, uh, especially over what we had in Grand or, or before um, that was already approved. Um, but there was very few people that were actually completely outspoken against any um, uh, safety improvements for biking infrastructure in our city. Um, I'm a huge al a fan of uh, Alternative 1. I think it's great. Uh, if we had unlimited money, Alternative 3, but or even a combination of 1 and 3. But Alternative 1, given the cost, is critical. Um, I was uh, a huge fan of the last proposal with the chicaning. I thought it was a great idea to slow down drivers and get them more alert. Um, and this proposal, all of these proposals allow 
drivers to stay on autopilot, which is a concern, but the overall safety improvement to pedestrians and bikers with all of these alternatives still just outweighs that. So I think it's a good compromise, even for people that want to drive a little faster. Um, what we have right now is a class two bike lane and all of these proposals, even the last one we approved, move us to a class four. Class one or class two is the least comfortable, the least safe class Four is the second most comfortable and the second most safe. So a stark improvement. And since we're speaking about public safety improvements, we should absolutely go ahead and spend the money now. We're already delayed with this as it is. We shouldn't wait for a potential grants and push this out even further. We should go ahead, get these approved, and let's get our bike lanes so much better in Alameda. Um, people are out there. I rode my bike today to here. Um, people are out there. It is amazing to see how many people are biking around Alameda every day. And it's increasing as we increase our biking infrastructure. So that's all I have to say. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Carol Godston. Welcome, um, Speaker um, Godstein. Godstein. Sorry. I've known you a long time. I should get that right. Yeah. Well, well thanks for trying. <laughs> Godstein. Um, I live on the east side of Grand Street, and I have for more than 50 years. I'm sorry. The data really isn't there to support the whole street being a high injury corridor, but certain in intersections are obviously terrible. Um, tonight's meeting marks seven months since I submitted my request for a residential disabled parking zone in front of my house to City Public Works. Um, the City of Alameda has not yet responded to my request, except to apologize for no response. Now I can sort of understand that we're reconfiguring the whole street. but. It kind of disturbs me that unlike the previous designs which you're proposing to throw out tonight, the new alternatives haven't been reviewed by the commission for the people with disabilities. Um, there was no June meeting of that commission. Um, and alternative one is, appears to explicitly discriminate against disabled parking on the east side of the street versus the west side since the staff report remarks on how easy it is to install disabled parking spots on the west side, whereas the east side is going to be more difficult. And to date, I haven't seen any real drawings or diagrams that actually show how a disabled parking spot will fit in on the east side of the street. And I'd really like to see that. And I would like for these designs to be vetted by the Commission on Disabilities. I know that there were some commissioners who had some concerns about where will the wheelchairs go when they get out of their vans. Um, can they go on the cycle track? Can they go on the sidewalk? How do they cross? Anyway, a lot of details haven't been worked out. I would prefer alternative two because at least it treats both each side of the street equally. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker? Um, that was our final speaker. Oh, okay. With that, we will close public comment on item 7C, and we will open it up to council discussion. Who would like to start? Vice Mayor, you're putting your glasses on. Is that an indication? You're very scholarly. Do you want to? You're just looking. Okay, not speaking. Okay, uh, Councilmember Hurray Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. I have a question in regards to the funding. Uh, how much money from the general fund for each of these proposals? Uh, do we have estimates at all? It's two million dollars from the general fund. Even for alternative number three, that's twenty-six million dollars. Oh, it would for, only be two million from for general each of them, fund. We didn't do a funding because we we only for alternative one. This is staff's recommendation. It was the only one that we did a detailed funding. 
um, breakdown for? It would just, it would require, whatever the difference is between the 7.7 .7 and what we'd need would have to come from the general fund because we don't have other sources available. Okay, alternative one, I think it was $15 million is what was in staff's report. Mm -hmm. It's the 7.7 .7 plus 7.7, .7, yeah. I don't have that number, but yes. So from the 15 million, only 2 million will, would come from general fund? No, for the part that we're requesting funding for, which is from Shoreline to Encinal, we, the rest is unfunded. 7.7 .7 million is unfunded at this point. So that extra 7 million could come from the general fund at some point? If the council, the council would have to make that decision. At this point, we're, staff's recommending that we get that money from grants. Okay, and if the project costs the 26 million of uh, number three, the difference could still come from the general fund? If the council directed us to pay for it from the general fund. Thank you. Okay, um, council, any, um, uh, council member Jensen and then Vice Mayor Desai. Um, I actually have some questions Absolutely. for Mr. Thomas or Mr. And Mr. Parisi, Parisi, do you want them both to come up? Yeah. Maybe both of you come up, please. Um, the two for safety number. Well, regarding the disabled parking and the alternatives, if there were to be, if we were to choose um, a cycle track on both sides of the street, either two or three, would that mean that there would be more, would the disabled parking or the opportunity for disabled parking be improved on one side of the street as opposed to um, what's being in, recommended? In, in alternative one, what you have is you have the current situation, so cars are parking right up against the landscape strip. So the disabled person trying to get out of their car is exiting onto landscaping and then getting to the sidewalk. So that's what you're dealing with on the west side of the street. On the east side of the street, in alternative one, they're exiting onto a two-way cycle track, which has a two-way, which has a two-foot buffer, as, as David was explaining, could be modified if somebody who lives in that house there, I mean, what we're talking about is a situation, as Councilmember Desoc pointed out, like, it's built, somebody comes to us later and says, I would like to improve my access to my car that I park on the street. Um, the problem with alternative two, there you have a very narrow bike lane, so in both cases, what you're asking, what the disabled person has to do is they leave their house, they cross the sidewalk, then they cross a landscape strip, and then they're into a very narrow section of bike. So can you get access from the car to the bike lane? Yes. I think the issue that concerns us a little bit is that person who is, is, has now moved into a very narrow bike lane with their wheelchair, let's say, for example, and they are, it's literally, there's very little space for anything else to be going on there. So it's, if anybody's coming along with bikes, they're stopping. I mean, they're literally stopping. There's, there's not be any room to go around. All I was gonna say is that I'm happy to put, we're happy to put a rendering together so people could visualize this and put that on the project webpage after tonight. So that's something we could provide. And I think we're also happy to take this to the Commission on Disabilities and have them provide some comments after, you know, assuming the vote happens, we're happy to take this and continue. It, we still have to go through design. This is a conceptual. Sure. So we're happy to do both those things to make sure people understand what we're talking about. And, and my question is more about 
or just thinking about equity. I, it, it's not equitable if, if one side to put the bike lane on both sides if it's not going to improve. It, I mean, what, what we're, uh, let me start. What we're doing is, um, is necessarily inequitable by having two lane bike lanes on the east side of the street. It's it, 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 meaning, I mean, in terms of having a bike lane in front of some houses on Grand Street and no bike lane in front of some houses on Grand Street. That's that people who live on one side may think it's a little bit unfair because there's a bike lane in front of their house. I understand that. And but with regard to and so my question is more with regard to the disabled parking and whether there would be that there's a limited number, I think, of disabled parking um, of it, or that's actually been permitted on, and um, unfortunately, hopefully, Ms. Gutstein will get her permit pretty quickly. But um, even if one was forced to cross the bike lane for because they had a disabled space, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm working on this. That doesn't necessarily mean that someone would need a disabled space on the other side so that the bike lane should be on both sides. That's kind of where I'm going with that question, which I just explained to myself, so thank you. Um, my other question is about, uh, I, I just want to follow up, and, and I really appreciate um, the Chan family being here. Thank you, and um, I feel like this is, a lot of this is really um, to make our city safer, and, and I know that Supervisor Chan would be supportive as you are. Thank you for your comments. The, um, the there were, there, there was some discussion about um, about the high injury corridor, and to be clear, there have been fatalities, and there have been improvements since those fatalities, and and that's I, I, this is my comment primarily. But you, um, Mr. Thomas, if you could just, I think it's in the data, but if you could could mention that and um, share that to make sure that everyone is aware that there were people have been killed on Grand Street. That is correct, and what we. Obviously, that's our goal, to prevent that from happening. So our primary objective for this entire project is how do we make it safer so that we can reduce those kinds of situations, as somebody said earlier. Like, people make mistakes. We do it. We're human beings. We make mistakes. The trick here is how do we design streets so that when people make mistakes, because we're not going to be able to prevent people from making mistakes, that when they make that mistake, the, the, the repercussions are less severe. Um, and that's what it's all about. The second piece, the whole question about low stress. Why do we need low stress? It's yes, it's, it, we want people to feel safer when they're using the facility. We also want parents feeling safe that they can send their kids to school on a bike. And, and that's there. so there's stress not just for the user, but also for the parents. Like, you know, we want, we need to, to get people feeling safe. And as another speaker pointed out in their, in their comments, I mean, we have statistically significant survey information of Alamedans saying, I would like to ride my bike more often. I would like to send my kids to school more often on their bikes, but I don't feel safe doing it. And I, so I, I appreciate that, that this will improve safety, and I, I feel strongly that it will, and I'm, I'm very supportive of the recommendation from staff. I, um, my, uh, a clarifying question also with regard to the two-way bike lane, is um, the separation, is, is this very similar, or the four, class four, is this just what we're seeing on shoreline? Is this the same, um, and this is for? The, I think the, the big difference is it's raised. So 
unlike Shoreline, where it's just a piece of the road that has been sort of um, de uh, uh, dis delineated. delineated with bollards and, mm -hmm. and, and parking things to keep the cars out of that portion of the street, what we're talking about here is moving the curb out. So it really becomes, it's, so there's the, the street and there's a traditional curb and then it's raised eight to 10 inches up, the same height as the landscape strip, same height as the sidewalk, that is the two-way bikeway. So it's really not part of the street anymore. It's part of the landscaping and the sidewalk portion of the right-of-way. Well, thank you. And I, as I said, I'm gonna support this, but maybe um, as part of the project page, there could be some information about, I, I ride a lot myself, and I know that Shoreline has become safer. It's become safer since there's been a, a people don't have to ride on the street and, and worry about cars pulling in and out. So that information, if there's any data to support that, that would be very helpful, I think, to include on the page. And um, finally, I want to, um, well, I when I support the motion, but I do agree, um, and I would, I, I'm very appreciative of the rapid flash beacons at, at San Antonio and San Jose. I like the fact that, that you're already, staff's already looking forward to the next phase, to phase three, to um, putting those between Encinal and Clement. And I um, would like to, for staff to, to add the flashing beacon at Shoreline and Grand. I think that's a, a great suggestion. I didn't see it in here, and I, th I would like to see that. That's my comments, thank you. Okay, um, actually, Vice Mayor Daysock had his hand up, and then um, Councilmember uh, Vela, unless Council Vela would, to okay, but uh, Vice Mayor. Uh, thank you. Um, first and foremost, thank you very much to all the residents who came out to uh, share their um, observations, as well as the number of emails that we received on this topic. Um, uh, I, I join my fellow council members in expressing appreciation um, for all your communications, because um, this is a project, um, as we all know, that has gone through a lot of twists and turns. Um, you'd think that we're uh, planning a protected bike lane on Lombard Street and uh, not uh, Grand Street, Alameda. Um, but uh, I think the, um, the alternatives that we have before us um, merit um, council um, looking at it very closely. But for me, the most important thing that I've always said from the outset was to make sure that we had um, neighborhood buy-in, um, community buy-in on this process, whether the community buy-in comes from the larger um, uh, community concerned about um, bicyclist, pedestrian um, type of concerns, or whether it's neighborhood buy-in um, from the residents who live close by or close enough by, or maybe not close by. But um, clearly, in the very first iteration, there was concerns about the what was called the chicane um, idea. Um, and uh, I certainly joined, um, uh, I believe it was uh, Councilmember um, Herrera Spencer in, in, in our concern about that. Um, but I think we've come to a point where the uh, residents as well as the larger community have taken a look at the alternatives before us and have been able to um, come, uh, come up with a, a, a supportive of, of many of the alternatives, if not one and two, um, preferably. Um, so I do, I, I'm very elated uh, to see that there is um, uh, community um, and neighborhood buy-in into this process. I think uh, it took a, a long time getting us uh, here, um, and like I said, there was certainly a lot of twists and turns, um, but I think uh, we will be uh, the better for it. 
because you know there is a very nice east-west um, bike lane uh, along Clement Avenue um, that goes uh, uh, ultimately uh, through Gene Sweeney Park in the direction of Alameda Point um, for those who are going traveling uh, westward. For those traveling eastward, obviously, you go the op you, you uh, express it um, in the opposite direction. But I think having a north-south connection um, from either Shore, um, uh, Shoreline Drive or Otis Drive um, uh, uh, towards um, northwards, and the only place where the northward connection could occur um, seamlessly uh, is, is basically Grand Street. And so, you know, the uh, raised protected uh, bike lanes offered um, in Alternative 1 and Alternative 2 because of the neighborhood and community, uh, broader community support uh, for, uh, I'm certainly very, um, I'm, I'm happy that we ultimately landed here. I mean, like I said, there was a lot of twists and turns, but we ultimately, I think, landed where um, enough of the community um, that there's consensus of this. Um, in terms of the issues raised by Dr. Carol uh, Gottstein, um, I do think that, uh, I, as I heard uh, staff and our consultant indicate, that we can certainly work with um, residents and um, to, to try to deal with um, the particular concerns that residents who uh, have uh, disabilities who reside along this um, corridor. Um, and I would, quite frankly, I, I would also make sure, I, I would um, give guidance to staff to make sure to work with uh, Dr. Gottstein because she's, you know, worked um, on this uh, uh, item for quite, quite a long time. I know she doesn't want special attention. I get it, you know, so I, don't, I know you don't want special attention, but, um, but you know, try to work closely with her because, um, uh, um, you know, let, let's try to get uh, everyone on board as much as possible. Um, so I just, you know, I, I certainly want to voice my support for um, alternative, well, I'm going to support my uh, 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 support for alternative one, uh, largely because to me it's elegant uh, to have a two-way design starting from um, uh, Shoreline Drive to Otis Drive and to continue that, that, that two-way path um, from Otis um, in the direction ultimately of Clement. Um, I appreciate um, the fact that um, you know staff has made a, a, a clear decision. Re clearly recognizes that while funding is available from um, to to make the modification to um, Otis Drive uh, to um, Ensenal Avenue via uh, Grand Street, uh, while um, staff is making some recommendations as to using uh, our reserves, I, I appreciate the fact that for the future uh, consideration from um, Ensenal Avenue all the way to Clement. You know, we're gonna to have to look for, for grant funding for that, but at least we could put it in the hopper um, and, and we could at least, you know, say that, that, that we're gonna, you know, uh, make it a policy decision that we're gonna, you know, continue to, to work to find grant funding to extend it even beyond um, uh, grant in the direction of, of Clement so that we can ultimately have that, you know, Grand Street connecting to um, the Cross Alameda Trail. So I think, you know, I've said enough. Um, thank you very much to the residents of Alameda for coming out um, and, and voicing your concerns. Thank you very much to the residents of Grand Street for letting us know how you feel and, and working through this um, uh, uh, matter in the professional um, um, consensus-driven manner that you had. So I, and I also thank you very much to the broader community for your continuing engagement and support of this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Harry Spencer, and then we'll go to Councilmember Bella. No, she's fine with it. She said, go ahead. 
Okay, so I had wanted to clarify, um, which I tried to do earlier, some of these fatalities, I believe, have occurred prior to improvements by the city. Uh, can this, um, when I looked at the information, there was one fatality at Otis and um, Grand, uh, and since then that, that intersection has had a significant improvement. Is that correct? There's so who would like to answer that? Okay. Yeah, I can. I mean, I have the, the three fatalities that I have between 2009 and 2018. One was at Grand and Clinton, one was at Grand and Otis, and one was at Grand and Shoreline. And then in some of those cases, there were other, like at Grand and Otis, or other too severe. But since um, we don't have the moderate injury, but we we don't there we don't have a at those Shoreline and Grand or Otis and Grand since improvements were made. We don't have, um, there weren't any severe or fatal accidents at those intersections. Now, again, we're talking about the entire corridor and a number of other intersections throughout there. Okay, my understanding the fatality at Grand and Clinton was a health issue uh, for the rider. Does staff submitting that there would, if there were any major, ch any changes to the roads, that that health injury would not have occurred? I don't I, know. I guess Ms. I saw oh, You ahead. know what? I'll actually jump in. I live right across the street from where that happened, and sadly I was home at the time and heard this poor man moaning and ran out, and some other um, uh, bystander, or you know, I think passersby had stopped, and we called 911 and the ambulance came, but no, it wasn't, it wasn't a collision with anything. An elderly gentleman fell from his bike, and um, I was told later that it wasn't known whether he had a seizure and it caused him to fall or falling and hitting his head caused a seizure, but there was no other um, vehicle or, you know, it was, he was coming up Clinton and hadn't quite gotten to Grand, so it was very sad, but. So I appreciate that ex explanation. My concern is that data is being presented in a manner that people are uh, thinking that we now need to spend 18 million or 25 million for improvements. That is not substantiated. I think, it, uh, is it possible to have this high injury corridor uh, memo corrected or mod, uh, somehow asterisk so that when we're talking about these fatalities, we're not using a health fatality to support a modification to add a, uh, a bicycle cycle track? We do plan on updating our high injury corridor maps um, as part of the update to Vision Zero. And so we can, we can take a look at that. Is it also possible to add uh, the great improvements that the city has made since uh, these uh, severe and fatal injuries occurred at the intersections of Otis and Shoreline to have that documented here so that people know the city has actually made incredible improvements, spent millions of dollars on improvements, and uh, that's not here. It's not presented to the public. It's as though the city didn't do anything. Yeah, sure, we're happy to make that clear. Thank you. Um, so I don't think that there's data that supports that this is in fact a high injury corridor that was presented today. I did ask for that information. I do believe the city has done its job in modifying uh, these intersections. I do believe that the first motion that I made back on October 4th that did pass that had the pedestrian improvements, I strongly believe the pedestrian improvements are necessary. Slowing down the traffic is necessary. However, this cycle track next to a sidewalk, uh, I think that is untested. 
I think it's actually dangerous, and I, sadly, I think that some of these quote-unquote improvements can actually make, make it less safe. I have serious concerns of anyone suggesting that children should be riding side-by-side side across the cycle track on both sides of the cycle track. It's actually one way. It has the line there. At most, you should use it to pass but not side by side. I have had, I've seen incidents on shoreline where people are riding side by side so that the oncoming bicyclists cannot get through. It is important that people understand that when we have our cycle tracks that we have people on the right side and I am concerned that we are now going to have bicyclists on the sidewalk, which they're allowed to do, on, and both ways riding both ways on the side on the cycle track as well as in the road which they are all allowed to do uh, legally uh, as, uh, as well as having motorized e-bikes on all of these with students going to and from school I think we're better off leaving it as is I think the city has done a marvelous job on the improvements specifically at Otis and Shoreline and um, at Otis and Grand uh, in regards to the uh, fatalities that have occurred. Um, I do think that I would have, uh, I do think it's important that we update the information so that we're not mis misleading the public into thinking that we have not made these significant changes. And once we have accidents, we have corrected it to the best of our ability. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, we don't do applause. This is not the theater. Um, this is a business meeting. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Vela, you're up next. So, you know, I think time is of the essence, and, and I support staff's um, uh, recommendation and, and alternative one, and I actually don't want to wait for data. I don't want to wait for an incident to occur in order for us to take action. I think we've seen enough close calls. We've also seen uh, the need for this. Um, people shouldn't have to bike down to Buena Vista in order to get to school. And at the end of the day, a lot of people in our community um, are traveling across. We don't want to have um, separations in terms of having people uh, cut over or, or try to make connections uh, to cross town trails um, in an unsafe manner. And I think we've heard from a number of people uh, who utilize our bike lanes, whether they have kids or not. Uh, whether you have kids or not, you shouldn't want somebody else's child to have to have an unsafe route to school. And that's what this all boils down to. And I think we've, we've had enough close calls. I appreciate the work that's gone into getting us to this point. Um, time is of the essence. I hope that we can continue to work towards uh, all of our goals stated in Vision Zero. And I look forward to making a motion in support of Alternative One. Great. As soon as I make my comments, but um, Councilmember Vell, I would be happy to have you do that. Um, thank you so much to staff, to our consultant, um, to all of our staff, members of the public who came out and, and joined us virtually. I don't know why I was motioned to the ceiling. They're not in the ceiling. But anyway, um, the um, I want to just take us back a little ways to uh, the chicanes. I had to learn that word. I didn't know what it was. However, even at the time, I said, this is not a perfect solution, but I didn't want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good, and I knew we needed to do something to improve Grand Street. But sometimes with the passage of time, it wasn't procrastination. It was a number of factors coming together 
We got a new city manager, Jennifer Ott. She has a planning background. She'd worked here for 13 years, went off to Hayward for four years of, uh, as assistant city manager, came back with great administrative skills. But we met for lunch before she even started her first day, and I said, this Grand Street project, it just needs revisiting. And one of the first things she did was to bring in a top-notch consultant. Sometimes you do need to go outside your organization, and David Parisi knows what he's doing, and, um, and it's evident from listening to him, from seeing his work product. So did it result in a little bit of delay? It did, by Guac Alameda, but sometimes it's worth it to get the, the job right. If we're in this for the long haul, we want to be as safe as possible. And here's the thing, it's not about how many fatalities when we get to a certain number of fatalities, do we then decide, oh, it's time to act, or do we say, no, we want to make people as safe as possible right now, today. And I'll tell you something that is a real pleasure. I get to, and you, you saw some of um, the evidence of this, I get to interview amazing residents in Alameda who apply to our boards and commissions. I wish I could choose them all, because we just have amazing talent. But if they're applying to a commission that is environmentally related, transportation commission, public um, uh, planning board, um, uh, public or transportation commission, uh, I will, uh, public utilities board, I'll ask them, so what are you doing in your personal life to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? How are you reducing your carbon footprint? And I have to say, I am so inspired by the young parents that tell me, well, I've got this cargo bike. You've all seen them. They've either got the cart on the front or the trailer behind, and they are zigzagging the city, dropping kids off at preschool, sports practice, grocery shopping, running errands, you name it. They're doing it on their bicycles. So then I ask the question, do you have an odometer on your bike? And they do. And um, we're going to start an odometer challenge or something in Alameda. But right here in the room, we have one of my newly appointed um, commission members and her husband, who does a lot of the schlepping of the young kids. In a year, in a calendar year, anybody want to guess? I'll tell you. 2,000 miles he put on his, on his bike. Um, it's an e-bike with the cargo thing. But I call that vehicle miles not traveled. We're an island. We take seriously. We've got to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. We've got to get people out of fossil fuel burning cars. Kids need exercise. We all do. We should get out. We should do that. But we need the safe infrastructure to do that. That's what this um, Grand Street project is all about. And I talked myself blue in the face last year saying, we can't just look at these few blocks in the Gold Coast. We've got to take it all the way down to Clement and connect with the cycle track at Clement, the Cross Alameda Trail, and that's what we're doing. And um, the other thing, um, Councilmember Jensen, I hear what you say about the equity, and we always do want to look at our projects with an equity lens. I think um, there's another way to look at this, and rather than feel that someone would be disadvantaged by having that two-way cycle track on their side of the street, they have a little wider buffer from the automobiles um, that are going up and down the street. So I think it can be a win-win. And there is um, one thing that I would like us to ask staff, to give staff direction to um, please work to implement. And that is, and we heard from um, Jennifer and Darren Chan, and, um, and I knew their mother well for many years, and they talk about flashing beacons. We know we're putting them in on Grand Street where the crosswalk goes to Wood Middle School. I would also like to see them at that intersection of Shoreline and Grand Street. I know that it's a three-way stop sign. There's not a fourth stop sign because that's the beach side. But 
I also know that drivers are distracted today, and those buttons, and I bet you've all used them, that you can push, and the new ones, they flash a light right up at the eye level of the drivers. And I just think that additional data point, that additional reminder, hey, there's a, there's a pedestrian in that crosswalk, could be the difference between life and death, could be the difference between a serious injury and just going on your way crossing the street, because crossing the street should not mean you take your life into your hands. So staff, I would really like you, I know I've been told by an engineer that, oh, you don't put those where there are stop signs. My response is, I'm not an engineer, but common sense suggests that on an intersection like that, we should be looking at that. So I would like to add that direction to any um, motion, um, if that would be agreeable to whomever makes the motion. But anyway, thank you so much. I think the time is now, and we will work hard to raise the rest of the money. So I'm in favor of both option A and the funding request. Uh, Councilmember Herrera-Spencer. Uh, thank you, Mayor. I actually, um, we have had multiple requests for flashing beacons at multiple intersections across this town, and we do have engineers that usually come back and tell us whether or not it's appropriate. I don't, I strongly do not agree with having uh, a council member make Thank that you. decision. Thank you, and your time is up. Oh, it's, it's, it's called staff direction. We do it all the time. All right, um, Council Member Vela. Um, Madam Mayor, I'm happy to make that motion. I would just um, ask that um, we also get a report back from staff relative to the funding request. Um, in terms of timeline for implementation and where the funds are going to come from. All right, I have a motion. Do I have a second? Councilmember Jensen, are you seconding? Yes, Madam Mayor, thank you for um, for that for supporting my my suggestion to staff about the flashing lights. I agree, it's a very um, important improvement for Shoreline. And I will second it the is. motion. All right. With that, we have a motion by Councilmember Vella. It's been seconded by Councilmember Jensen. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? No. All right, the motion passes four to one. Thank you so much, everyone, thank you. And now, um, everybody, we are, I give us two hours and then we take a break and we're just seven minutes away from two hours. So before we jump into that very meaty um, next item, it's 9.05, we will be back here at 9.15. I'm starting talking at 9.15 because we've got all these good people still waiting to talk and I do appreciate your patience. We won't keep you waiting any longer than 10 minutes. Okay, everyone, back in 10.
only council member, but <laughs> so. Um, Council and staff, if you and and members of the audience, hello, members of the audience. I know it's so nice to see people in person, but we got to keep things moving along. I have a rule that I like to start and end a meeting on the same day, which means we don't go to midnight. You don't want to be out till midnight with me. Not that I'm not a lot of fun, but council, come on back, Vice Mayor. Um, so on the break, I um, learned something. I hope the clerk is not surprised by it. No, 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 okay. I know. Mm -hmm. All right, do you want to introduce this? It, She's we, a professional. Um, about Bivel? Um, the pulled you, items? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so after um, items were pulled from the consent calendar, um, the, there were speaker slips submitted from 5L and K, and you know, the public comment section of the consent calendar is closed, but the council um, can... Tell us what 5L and K are. Those are all the whole, the, both the Village of Love agreements for the day center is L, or K, and the outreach center, is, homeless outreach is L. So day center is K, uh, homeless outreach is L, both Village of Love agreements. So um, the council can consider um, overriding your rules of order and allowing public comments. It takes four votes, um, but you can do so if you're interested. Uh, I'm about to see if we can do that if we haven't lost our speakers. Okay. Um, yes, I, I um, was so sorry to hear that people didn't realize they weren't, were going to have to wait to have an opportunity to speak and they hadn't taken out their speaker slips. So I, um, it is confusing. Um, it is confusing a little, even a little more so now that we're in person because uh, when everything was just on Zoom, you kind of, you know, had an opportunity. So, um, but what I need is, as um, the city clerk noted, we would need a motion to just reopen um, the consent calendar for those two items and then to hear the speakers um, for those two items. Uh, Councilmember Harris Spencer? Well, I have a question. Um, if we're going to reopen public comment on consent items, aren't we going to open it up so that anyone here that wants to speak on any of the consent items would have that same opportunity? Um, well, it's, um, help me out here, city attorney and city, um, we could, and then we wouldn't hear public comment when we bring them back later. We would have closed public comment. Mr. Shan, tell us. So, Madam Mayor and Council Members, I, if there is uh, affirmative votes to reopen public comment on a particular item, that item will be considered open and anyone can submit chits for that particular item. Um, on the consent calendar, I believe... You're you doing it for one item, I believe, right? Well, you speak for any items when you speak on consent. That's right. And, and, and I guess it depends on the motion made. If the motion is simply to open public comment for one item, okay. or then, two is the case. Or, or two, then yeah. it's those two. If those you two wanted items. to okay. make a motion for all four or five that are pulled, you, it, it depends on your motion. Okay. Well, I want to be respectful of everyone's time, and I know we've got a lot of folks <coughs> in the item in the audience for these next two items, but I feel very bad that we've kept people waiting who wanted to speak. So if I had a motion to reopen items 5K and 5L um, and allow public comment on just those items, I would do it. Councilmember Spencer? 
Okay, I want to clarify. The, the comments on consent items are all made at once at the beginning. So if these people wanted to speak on any of the consent items, they it's not as though we've made them wait. They should have spoken during uh, number five consent calendar right there where we ask for communications on the consent calendar. And we do not allow um, people to speak at the fact that I pulled it does not change. We do not, this is why we had a complaint earlier about this. The fact that I pulled the item does not make, does not reopen comment on the consent items that get pulled. We did have a public speaker earlier that said, we used to do that. We used to, whenever an item got pulled, we did get the, give the audience an opportunity to speak. Sadly, currently <coughs> this council has not allowed that. And I disagree with that. I do think uh, when an item gets pulled, we should allow public comment because we're going to have more discussion. People are going to be looking at it more closely. And I think we should. But I think that should be the case all the time. And it saddens me that uh, apparently right now for one item, we're actually going to do the right thing when we don't do it for everyone else. And I think that there's a problem there to miss to treat um, some, some people that want to speak on consent items, we don't allow it, but now apparently we're being asked by the mayor to allow this public comment on two items that were pulled. When we do, you know, I, I honestly think we should allow it every time an item gets pulled, we should allow the public comment. But I don't agree that uh, we should interrupt the meeting uh, and act like this is normal. This is not normal. It's not, it's not something that this council wants to do, but I would be happy to let the council do it in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your observations, um, Councilmember. Uh, if we could hear from the city clerk, please. Yeah, I'm sorry if I didn't explain it clearly. So, what you would be doing, what the action would be, would be to suspend the, that rule, and that requires four votes. And so, that's what is being proposed: is a suspension of the rules. And sorry if I didn't the, explain that. The clearly. mayor doesn't have magical powers. Okay, Councilmember Vella. Um, it, and we have uh, suspended the rules in the past uh, for similar things where there's been, um, you know, not there has there hasn't been clarity about what the process is and that sort of thing. So there's certainly precedent for it. Um, I, would, Madam Mayor, would like to make a motion uh, to suspend the rules and allow for those who have not um, already given public comment on the consent calendar to give public comment now on items five K and L. Okay. Correct. All right. Do I have a second for that motion? Second. Oh, it's been seconded by Councilmember Jensen. Uh, I'm sorry, Vice Mayor. Okay, comment, comment. comment. Yes. Uh, I'd like to just quickly say that um, unfortunately, the public comment period has been exhausted, and so um, I think the item, uh, uh, your anyone's perspective on co uh, items K and 11 can certainly be shared in other ways, telephone call or an email. Um, but I'm sorry. Uh, so I, I do have to express my. Um, um, uh, uh, point of view that, that it has been exhausted, alas. So we're, we're going to have to keep to our schedule. Thank you. Councilor Mervella? Um, just to clarify, we can't um, look at items that we're voting on, right, to get communications um, in writing during the meeting. So or they can send it afterwards. But I guess my concern is, is that the point of public comment is to get the comment before we actually deliberate and, and vote on it, which we haven't deliberated or voted on it yet. It's been exhausted. Public comment has already been opened and closed for us. Um, Council Member Vice Mayor Desog, 
you've been around this council a long, long time, and you certainly know the procedures, and you're familiar with them. I will just say that sometimes we need to put ourselves in the shoes of someone who, for whom this might be their first council meeting, and maybe just um, Yeah, have it's an unfortunate situation. It happened. Um, sorry, but we're, we're, we, we just... If we do it for one uh, set of uh, individuals, we, we, what is the argument for not doing it for other set of individuals? We just have to move on. So, um, And I would submit to you that um, sometimes there are exceptional cases. So we are talking about individuals who um, are being served by the Village of Love, by um, um, Dignity Village, and who have had some life-changing experiences that they wanted to share, didn't quite understand the procedure. It can be confusing. I would, um, I would implore you to have some tolerance for folks for whom this might be their last meeting. And I wouldn't want it to be, there might be their first meeting, I wouldn't want it to be their last meeting because they didn't feel welcomed or made part of the community. Duly noted, but I'm sorry. We, we have to go on. The public comment period has been exhausted. Councilmember Vela. Um, this is a question for the city clerk. Is it possible to move um, item 5K and 5L to be heard now by a, a motion of the council? How many would we need? To change the order of agenda items, that's three votes. And my second question would be, um, is it possible for the council to um, open up public comment or to, to make, um, I know that they were on the consent calendar. Is there any... Um, motion that can be made. Oh, oh, I understand what you're saying. So the council could make items. a motion to um, move it to be a regular item mm -hmm. and have it be addressed as a regular agenda item? Yes. Yes, you could make that motion. Um, so Madam That's Mayor, three votes. So Madam Mayor, I, I'd move that items 5K and 5L be moved uh, to be part of the regular agenda and, and heard at this time. Do I have a second to that motion? I'd like to speak to that. Um, I'll, I'll get a second I'll and then second. you'll speak to it. Okay, and before you speak, I want to make a comment. So by doing that, and I suspect I have the three votes to pass it, Council Member, Vice Mayor, Desog, that means the speaking time will be extended because there's more speaker time and you're fine with that. Okay. Um, well, it's, it's, yes, thank you for making your, your views clear. Um, it's good for the public to know where you stand. Um, Council Member, Harris Spencer, comment. I just think it's unfortunate that we don't do this for everyone that comes to the meeting. I think that we're doing special, treating some people specially and different than we do others that come here. And many people that come to our meetings have very serious concerns or they wouldn't be here. Everyone that's here tonight is here because they think it's important to be here. So I think it's really unfortunate that we actually cannot have this as the part of our regular rule that when items get pulled, that they are treated like regular items, which is the way we used to handle this, so that people in the uh, here, and uh, watching on Zoom would be able to speak. We've, oh, this has been a recent change. Uh, Thank you for that, and I believe the city clerk wanted to tell us. I'm sorry, I yes, just, I wanted to see, are you hearing the two items combined, the similar way you combine right. D&E as well? I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. Yes. yes. Okay, yes. thank you. I, I just make wanted to make sure that was clear to everybody, because right. I was interpreting it that way, but then I didn't know if everybody was understanding that, all right. so I wanted to make We've that. had a motion, it's been seconded. All in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Opposed? Opposed. Opposed. The motion passes three to two. Um, Madam Clerk, would you please introduce items 5K and 5L, and whichever staff we have, um, come on up. Yes. 
Okay, so 5K is a recommendation authorizes the city manager to execute documents, agreements, and modifications with the Village of Love Foundation to operate the day center and safe shelter parking for two years from September 1st, 2023 to August 31st, 2025 for up to 2.1 million with funding from Homeless Housing Assistance and Prevention Program and General Fund. Uh, 5L's recommendation authorizes the city manager to execute a one-year agreement from October 1st, 2023 to September 30th, 2024 with the Village of Love Foundation to provide homeless outreach team services for Alameda's homeless population in an amount not to exceed 296,415 in adoption of related resolution. And we do have seven speakers, eight speakers left, so they'll only get two minutes each. Yes, um, so um, uh, Assistant City Manager Waldridge, um, this is your item. Items. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do a brief presentation or I, I can also just be here to answer questions. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, under the circumstances, we've got a lot still to cover. I think questions would be fine. And not seeing any questions, could we go to our public speakers and two minutes apiece for public speakers? Yes. Uh, the first speaker is, um, I'll call the first three, uh, Daniel Abara. Mm. Um, maybe somebody the third, DD the third, or WW the third, and Eric Kading. Come on up, welcome. Uh, good evening, everybody. Make it lower a little bit. Yes, perfect. <laughs> Just a little bit short. Um, this is my first time here at this uh, uh, city hall, and the first time that I've worked in the city of Alameda. Uh, I've been with this program for a little over three months, and uh, let me tell you, uh, we're, we're being really proactive on uh, getting folks off the street. Um, we help out uh, veterans as well, um, and we guide them into the right direction uh, and for their needs. Um, and uh, it's been a privilege uh, to be a case manager and helping out uh, folks, because everybody here and out there deserves a roof over their head. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for what you do. Our next speaker, and you can introduce yourself when you come up, sir. Good evening. Hello, my name is William Watson III, and I am, what you could say, a success story. I started off at Christ Episcopal Church working with a gentleman by the name of John Brennan, and then I left there, and I ended up going to Village of Love, and I was in a transitional house, but now I can say that I'm not homeless anymore. I'm in my own apartment. I'm doing quite well. And I have nothing bad to say about Village of Love at all. They do what they say they're going to do. If they say they're going to help you, they do it. Thank you. Thank you, and congratulations to you. Our next speaker, come on up, sir. Hello, I'm Eric Adams. Uh, I am a current worker at Youth Alive in Oakland, and I am a supervisor for the um, Department of Violence Prevention. And so the Village of Love actually started out in Oakland. And so I followed them from Oakland to here, and we work closely with them because in the, in the, um, uh, uh, the violence era that happens in Oakland and all around, you know, usually the people that's into those things that get them caught up in that, it always be the help that they need is always housing, job, 
you know, mental health services and stuff like that. And Joey has always been there. And Joey being the founder of the Village Loves, he's always been there for me when I have clients and refer them to him for that because when we try to help them with stuff like housing, helping them with housing before we help them with the other stuff to get them stable enough for housing, you know what I'm saying? It always backfires, you know what I'm saying? So working with him has been like uh, uh, open arms and and Joey doesn't send uh, the people that I send him to his team. He comes out personally and takes his own time to like hands-on help, you know? And so uh, that's a big help. And in, in, in like when the clients see that, you know, they know that it's not just like an organization or just people there for the money and stuff like that. They just know that it's somebody that really actually cares and that he helps like tremendously in all areas, you know. And so uh, the stuff that uh, the Village of Love don't do, they have an awesome referral system that allows things to come in. I'll give you one, for example, you know, uh, um, dealing with the unhoused population. Uh, 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 there's a lot of like uh, drug, you know, uh, related uh, crimes and, you know, recovery and stuff like that. And so I'm a member of Narcotics Anonymous myself. I've been clean 14 years, eight months and 22 days. And so he uh, had me bring the NA meetings to Alameda. And so we have a meetings Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Thank, Thank you, you so much for sharing. Our next speaker. Uh, our Roxanne Attaway. Sheila Smith and Karen Zeltzer with oh. the Roxanne up first. All right, welcome. Hi. How you doing? How are you guys doing? Um, my name is Roxanne and I am a manager for the Emergency Supportive Houses and um, my experience with working with um, the Village of Love Foundation has been a very great gift. Um, being able to help the unsheltered population to reacclimate back into um, living, um, you know, live back into living um, a regular life, you know, um, being able to be a support to them, helping them break barriers, um, just helping them learn how to save money, um, even just like the little things of like just taking a shower, right, um, has been like a really great gift to be a part of, you know, um, being um, very um, close to the executive director is a really great gift, right, because you get other jobs and you don't even know the director, right, you just come in, you work and go home, but Unfortunately, being able to work very close with the director, I get like hands-on tools with um, just being a better employee, being a better person, um, having that compassion, as well as um, just having patience within the work, you know, because sometimes it can get frustrating, you know, with the fact that, you know, you're trying to help a individual that really don't want to be helped, but just learning how to be able to meet them where they're at. And Joey is like a great great, great mentor in that area to be able to like, you know, help all his employees to be able to, you know, have that patience and gratitude, you know, so I'm really grateful to work for the Village of Love, as well as just being a part of the organization. And thank you guys for letting thank, me speak. Thank you so <laughs> yeah. much. And our next speaker, Shahila Smith. Welcome. Come on up. Do we have Shahila Smith? I left. Okay, did get a little late. Okay, who's next? Karen Zeltzar. Welcome. Hi. Okay, uh, 
Thank you very much for this opportunity. Uh, Look closer to the mic would be good. Thank you very much for this opportunity to speak about uh, encouraging approval for 5L. My name is Karen Zeltzer, and I am the program director for the Alameda Family Services portion of the Alameda Care Team. I have a front row view to the challenges that are facing our unhoused Alameda residents with complex chronic mental illness. I also have a front row seat to the amazing work that is being accomplished through the Village of Love um, and their support of the entire Alameda community. The care team in the Village of Love work very collaboratively to support Alamedans who are suffering greatly, but whose chronically acute mental health challenges often manifest in ways that interfere with offers of support and linkage to psychiatry and housing. We are all working very diligently to support all Alamedans. This position will fill a very needed gap in services for intensive ongoing case management and mental health support for our highest need residents. This position will enhance Village of Love's ability to reach those that have not been able to be uh, benefited from all existing current services by allowing for a smaller caseload of high need clients, developing supportive relationships, collaborating with city and county resources, and supporting linkages when the client is ready the moment they are ready. Currently, the sheer number of unhoused Alamedans and those with mental health crises make this level of support vital. This position fits well within the Village of Love's already existing excellent outreach services. I am very excited to imagine working collaboratively with this new position. Please help us fill this gap by approving this position. I also wanted to say an enormous thank you to the mayor, the city council, as well as all of the staff in the social services department who are champions of those in need in Alameda and who have provided incredible support to our social service agencies and efforts. Your support has kept me energized in my role and every day I see residents benefiting from the city and social services program. Please continue this support by approving this position. Thank, thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. Our next speaker. Uh, John Brennan, then Tonda Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Brennan. Heard your name mentioned there. Hello, Council. I want to speak strongly in support of the work that the Village of Love does in Alameda. When we expanded the warming shelter at Christchurch from three nights a week to seven nights a week, and then to days, Village of Love was the first to step forward and provide the, the staffing for the weekends, which was absolutely essential. Um, and it was transformational. I mean, William and others here are examples of that. Uh, helped William move into his apartment today with a dresser, oh, and I've oh, never seen, it was like a five-year-old <laughs> on Christmas, right, William? I mean, it was wonderful. Um, so, uh, and we need to do that for more. The shelter for this fall uh, depends heavily on the Village of Love's partnership. We won't be able to have a day program at Christchurch because we are expanding our Head Start program and we'll have an infant program and we can't actually have a day program with infants uh, on site. So uh, we're gonna partner heavily with Village of Love to make sure that if we have continued inclement weather during the days, um, that people will have a place to go, which means expanding the day program. And the Village of Love is absolutely the partner that we want to work with. So I hope you see your way clear to approving this budget item. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Yes, thank you. These are great programs. I fully support these programs, and I fully support all the speakers and everything they said about it. It's a great cause. 
Um, what I don't support is the process of how we got to me speaking here tonight. This is fundamentally wrong what I've seen tonight. I've seen um, a public speaker turned into a basically an agenda item where she was allowed to continue to talk. She went a minute over her time. That was at the very first public um, comment period. Um, I've seen um, the mayor chastise people for two seconds of clapping when they let somebody else go on and on. I've seen a disparity in the time and when people get cut off. So the bottom line is, again, these are great programs and I don't want to take anything away from that. I don't want to take anything away from the public speakers. I agree, I fully support that. However, the process here is broken. That was actually a Brown Act violation um, that we saw here first thing in the meeting. And really, as you know, I'm a stickler for the process. The process is everything. If you don't have the process and you don't follow the process, you have absolutely nothing. You have chaos. So again, I do not appreciate the violations of the process that I've seen here tonight. And I particularly appreciate um, Councilmember Herrera Spencer and Tony Daysog for being strong tonight and calling out the process and trying to force the other council members to stick to the process. So once again, um, I'm actually getting in early here tonight. I hate to do that, I like to use all my time, but the bottom line is please follow the process. The process is everything, without it you have nothing. And since we came this far um, and allowed these to be pulled and spoke about as true agenda items and not consent calendar items, why don't we just go to what I referred to earlier and do that on all of these agenda or on all of these consent count items. If they're important enough to be pulled, they're important enough to be talked about just like these two important items that we just heard here. And look, I was wrong. I used every last second. Thank you. And our next speaker? Uh, Myrna Bernadelle Huey. Yes, Reverend um, Bernadelle Huey. She's remote. remote. So. Mm -hmm. Good evening. Hmm. I can hear you. Are you there, Reverend? I heard a hmm. Unless that was you, Member. I don't know. Is she unmuted? Let me try again. Thank you, uh, Madam Mayor. I didn't see. I, I didn't get a little. Um, a little window to unmute myself. Um, Mayor Ashcraft and Vice Mayor Daysog and council members. Uh, I am Reverend Myrna Bernadelle Huey and the pastor at the Buena Vista United Methodist Church. Um, my only comment this evening is that in spite of good efforts to increase affordable housing units in Alameda, we know that those numbers are inadequate to house all those who are currently unhoused. And so I encourage you to support the proposals from the Village of Love Foundation to offer compassionate support to those who find themselves homeless, which we know can happen for a variety of reasons and can happen sometimes very quickly. Earlier speakers will also encourage you to support the needs of our veterans. And we know that quite shamefully veterans are among the sector, a sector of the population who are overrepresented among the homeless community. So a vote to support the items before you from the Village of Love Foundation could also be an act of support for the most vulnerable of our veterans. I encourage you to support items 5K and 5L to support an agency that's stepping up to provide compassionate and helpful services like those that a homeless outreach team could offer or like a day center to give the unhoused members of Alameda a chance to possibly rest and be shown how to access helpful additional services. When we lift up those who are at the lowest end of our community, the standard of living rises for our entire community. Thank you. 
Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, that was our final speaker. All right. With oh, that, wait, oh, wait. Patricia wait. Nagel. Just okay. one more. Oh, sister. <laughs> we're getting our spiritual uplift here. <laughs> Welcome, Sister Pat Nagel. Thank you, Mayor Ashcraft and City Council members and all present. Um, my name is Sister Pat Nagel, and I've been a part of the community here that has served those most in need through Dine and Connect, where we have five, five churches preparing meals each month for those who are without homes and those who are living with food insecurity. It is in this capacity as one of the volunteers for Dine and Connect that I know and have the opportunity to work with the staff at the Village of Love. Under the leadership of Joey Harrison and all of those staff, this organization has served so many in the community who live on the edge. They are welcomed at the Village of Love and they are guided to the opportunities that support them in restoring humanity, their humanity, and in finding new opportunities. I'm in full support of the continuation of the work, the marvelous work of compassion that is done every single day by the Village of Love. I am also in support of 5L, of providing a team of trained social workers to work with those on the street who are living with mental illness. I have had personal experience with this through Dine and Connect week after week, relating to those who are really hurt by this ravaging illness. And one thing that they need more than anything is a consistency of care and compassion. Unfortunately, I'm not able to give that to them. I see them one day a month. Is that time? That was time. Thank you, Sister Nagel. All right. All right, our next speaker. That was our last one. All right, with that, we will close public comment on items 5K and 5L, and I would entertain a motion. Motions? Is it, we do separate motions, Madam Clerk? Oh, you can do a combined motion. You can combine motion, okay. Move approval. Uh, uh, Vice Mayor okay. moves approval. Second by Councilmember Vella. All those in favor signify by stating aye. I'm sorry, I'd like to speak on the item. That's why I pulled it. Oh. I pulled the item. Oh, we made it a regular, but sure, of course. Welcome. All right, so I had pulled the item because I want to ask about the staff oversi uh, oversight of this organization because sadly I have received uh, some complaints and concerns about the way it's operated. So uh, my questions for both of these items where we're being asked to fund uh, over $2 million, um, what oversight will there be to ensure that the um, over the organization, which in the past, sadly, when I asked for uh, resumes or curriculum vitae, things like that, there, there were no offered, none. Uh, when I asked about college background, I was told something like uh, one class, or it was very, very vague. And also when I asked about um, um, you know, prior experience, um, it, it, it was very di uh, different, oh, I know, the website. When I asked to, about the website, it was actually taken down. Um, uh, when I, uh, so I'm 
and I know that staff is now recommending another $2 million plus, but what oversight has been added to ensure that this money is actually going uh, uh, to, to the people that need the services. And um, Assistant City Manager Wildred, did you want to? Yes, okay, thank you, Councilmember Hurd. Sorry. Thank you, Councilmember Harris Spencer, um, Amy Wildred, Assistant City Manager. So, um, uh, uh, speaking to the, to the day center and the safe sheltering, the various safe sheltering programs, um, our staff, and we have staff here in the audience that can provide more detail if, if necessary. Um, we do um, site visits and are um, doing a f do follow-up site visits, so we we note um, what's best practice and we go through those um, with Village of Love and then do follow-up on that. Um, we also do unannounced um, drop-in visits um, and for the homeless outreach team and uh, we do reporting as well um, on the contacts we make and the resources we're providing and the follow-up. All right, so then um, I know I saw in the report, but I wanted to ask in regards to the $2 million for 5K, um, can you explain how that money will, will actually be spent so that the people that need the services are getting it? Um, yes, the, the money is for the operation and maintenance of the day center, um, our four emergency um, shelter houses, the, um, you know, the day center also includes the overnight shelter, um, as well as the safe parking that's adjacent to the day center. So those funds are to, for the staffing for all of those, as well as for the ongoing operations of those facilities. So does staff uh, keep track of how many people are parking in the parking lot? Yes. All right, so when I've been told that there are over 50 cars throughout our city that park in our streets and do not utilize these services, uh, are there empty spaces at the parking lot? There are at times, and so our homeless outreach team is working with those folks on a daily basis. We staff, including myself, are on regular meetings with um, our outreach team on who they're reaching out to. Um, people who are, and we are constantly offering for folks to come to the safe parking. Um, it's also a matter of building trust so that people are interested and willing to come to services um, because it, we can't forcibly make them come to the safe, to the safe parking. Thank you, that completes my questions. All right, I think we were voting. We've had a motion by the Vice Mayor, seconded by Councilmember Vela, and now you would like to speak. Vice it's Mayor. a quick comment. Uh, just for the members who uh, took the time to speak here and over the phone, my concern was meeting process and not the substance of what you do. Glad to support this. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed, any abstentions? The motion passes unanimously. Thank you so much to our speakers, and um, you really warmed my heart. So um, all of you, keep doing what you're doing, putting one foot in front of the other, you're, you're doing it, and we support you. All right, thank you so much. All right, Madam Clerk, where are we? Um, we're gonna <laughs> hear our combined 7D and yes, E right okay. now. And so it's gonna take it? me a minute to read all this. Okay, <laughs> and so the, whatever, whoever the team is, that combined team, come right. on up. Okay. okay. So um, 7D is approval of development agreements with Midpen Housing and the collaborating partners for the reshape project consisting of 309 permanent supporting houses, housing units on 
a new eight-acre campus at Alameda Point including declaring the properly, property exempt surplus land. This is a public hearing to consider adoption resolution declaring the rebuilding existing supportive housing at Alameda Point reshaped property and the adjacent West Midway property located at the corner of West Midway Avenue and Pan Am Way at Alameda Point to be exempt surplus land under the Surplus Lands Act. Introduction of ordinance authorizing the city manager to execute a disposition and development agreement between the city of Alameda and the collaborating partners and Midpen Housing Corporation for the development of the reshaped property in substantial conformance with Exhibit 2, an introduction of ordinance authorizing the city manager to execute a development agreement between the city of Alameda and the collaborating partners and Midpen Housing Corporation for the development of the reshaped property in substantial conformance with Exhibit 3. Uh, and then there's sequel language. And then this, the next item, 7E, is also being heard at the same time, approval of development agreements with BC West Midway LLC for the West Midway project consisting of development of 478 housing units on approximately 26 acres of land located between West Tower Avenue, West Midway Avenue, Main Street, and Pan Am Way at Alameda Point. It's a public hearing to consider an introduction of ordinance authorizing the city manager to execute a disposition and development agreement in substantial conformance with ex Exhibit 2 between the city of Alameda and BC West Midway LLC, introduction of ordinance authorizing the city manager to execute a development agreement in substantial conformance with Exhibit 3 between the city of Alameda and BC West Midway LLC, and adoption resolution uh, amending the budget, and also a recommendation to authorize the city manager to execute a Sixth Amendment to the exclusive negotiation agreement between the City of Alameda and Brookfield Bay Area Development Holdings and Catellus Development Corporation for the West Midway Project until such a date as the disposition and development agreement becomes effective on October 6, 2023. She's impressive, isn't she? No, no applause, no applause, please. We don't clap. Um, no. <laughs> Stop it, Mr. Thomas. Okay, so as we noted, this is a combined, um, we've got this cast lining up on the sidelines. So any way you want to slice it. Um, oh, I'm a uh, city attorney. Let's hear from the Madam, attorney. Madam Mayor, I'm sorry Wait. to interrupt. No, uh, no, I, no. I know the city clerk read a lot, but I, I hope the city clerk could read the sequel language. Oh, the we don't usually read it, but I can read it now. He can. Um, she, pursuant to, for the uh, item uh, 7D, uh, pursuant to rec public rec Public Resources Sections 21166 and 21083.3 and Sections 15162 and 15183 of the CEQA guidelines, no further environmental rules required for um, the reshape project for the West Midway project pursuant to Public Resources Sections 21166 and 21083.3 and Sections 15162 and 15183 of the California Environmental Quality Act CEQA guidelines, no further environmental review is required. Anything else? <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. All right, Mr. Thomas, back to you. Um, thank you, Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft. Um, uh, we're really pleased to be here tonight um, to present to you uh, the Reshape and West Midway projects. These are two projects, as Laura pointed out, um, but they really work hand in hand. Uh, and they're interconnected, so it's. I think it's great that we're we're handling this as a single hearing um, for two separate projects, and it's really together for us. I mean, really in a sentence, it's all about implementing a vision for mixed-use housing at Alameda Point, which is something that this city has been working on since the very beginning, um, and this is just a very important um, step in that overall process. Um, these agreements, all those agreements that um, Laura described um, and we'll talk a little bit about tonight, um, really come down to, I think, a few, the uh, enable us to achieve some 
citywide goals for Alameda Point and for, city, for the city as a whole. Um, first and foremost, this is all about providing supportive housing, service-enriched, sur uh, supportive housing for our most vulnerable citizens. Um, but it's not just about the supportive housing. It's also mixed income housing. So we have in housing for in um, all levels of of income in this project, from straight up market rate to workforce, middle income, moderate income, um, all the way um, through to the supportive housing. So we're really excited about the mix of housing in this project. Um, it's an absolutely critical pair of projects for our housing element, the commitments we made to the state of California. So this is a major step in implementing those commitments that we made to the state um, it's providing brand new infrastructure for 34 acres of Alameda Point. Um, that infrastructure is not only critical to the 34 acres that we're talking about, but they are the, the stepping stones for the next pieces of Alameda Point, as you all know, but the public may not be aware that each piece of infrastructure is critical um, to allow us to achieve the visions um, and overall goals for Alameda Point. And then, of course, it's 34 acres of new um, uh, streets, utilities, bike paths, parks that are going to be open to all of us. So um, the um, overall, this we're really just very excited about this, and we're, we're glad to be here. Many of us, and Doug in particular, has been working on this for a lot longer than five years. Um, but it's really been the last five years where the city council has made some very important decisions, which enabled us to get here tonight. Back in, 19, in 2018, you approved the Main Street Specific Plan, which is the specific plan that covers this general area of Alameda Point. And then shortly thereafter, you approved the first agreements with the Reshape Project, which you'll hear more about in a few minutes. Um, you also, in 2020, approved the exclusive negotiating agreement with Brookfield and Catellus. Those are the other partners for the West Midway project that you're going to hear about tonight. Um, in 2022, the council endorsed the term sheet for these two projects, which included the, the, the moving of the location of the reshaped campus from where we thought it was going to be in 2018 to where we now are proposing that it be placed. Um, and that was also the year that you approved our housing element, which specifically calls out these two projects on city land as the city's part of the city's commitment to get as much housing built as possible at Alameda Point. And then in May of this year, the, your planning board approved both the reshape project and the West Midway project development plans. Um, just a, a quick um, minute on, on the housing element, as you, the public may not remember, but I'm sure the council does. Um, just last year, you approved the housing element for the next eight years. So this is a commitment to the state of California that we would build over 5,300 housing units here in Alameda. And a big goal of the community was to build as many as possible at Alameda Point, and it was 1,482 units. So that's a commitment to the state of California that we were going to get 1,400 housing units built on city-owned land at Alameda Point. And that was really comprised of three projects. Um, site A, 684 units. You've done everything you can do to entitle that project and set it on its way. So um, now it's about the market and the developers getting that housing built over the next eight years. These next two, West Midway and Reshape, are the balance of that commitment. These, the, the entitlements tonight 
are what allow those projects to go forward and fulfill those commitments to the state of California. Um, the um, project, when you look at the two together, and you'll hear uh, more about each one of them from um, the next presenters, but it's a mixed use, mixed income neighborhood on 34 acres of city land. It's over 40% affordable housing. It's 23 units the acre. This is very similar density to, to what you see in R2, R3 neighborhoods throughout historic Alameda. So it really is, with the grid and the approach, we're really trying to extend Alameda out and seamlessly integrate Alameda Point to the rest of the island. Um, we have, these buildings are all 40 and 50 feet in height, three and four stories. Um, very similar to the, the overall height and, and heights and requirements of the specific plan, as well as the historic district just to the west, which are buildings of 40 feet in height. Um, and all of the, it's mixed use with commercial fronting on Pan Am, which is the commercial, the, from that point to the west is where the commercial continues at Alameda Point. That's where our jobs are gonna be. So, um, and then as I said, all new parks, utilities, infrastructure, bike paths, um, that we'll all be able to enjoy. Um, just a word on California Environmental Quality Act. Uh, we, this has been thoroughly reviewed under the California Environmental Quality Act. This, we have done two EIRs which cover development at Alameda Point, 2014, and then the general plan EIR which specifically looked at the 1,482 units at Alameda Point as well as the 789 units on these 34 acres. These projects will are committed to and are, will be required to implement all of the relevant mitigation measures for the, from those EIRs that apply to this property. Um, and as I said earlier, these projects, is can, it's not in, they are not within the NAS Historic District. They are adjacent to it, but they are compatible with that district in, in terms of building heights. Um, and there is no determination of an impact on the Historic District as a result of this development. Um, so I'm going to end here with this final um, slide just to um, try to say what Laura said, but a little slower. Um, we, <laughs> oh, are we are recommending that you hold a public hearing tonight before you take any actions. We are recommending that the first action that you take is what is the first resolution, which is a resolution for the Surplus Lands Act State of California. This is a resolution that is a where you make the findings that are necessary under that state law that this land is appropriate, it's surplus public lands, and it's being used for housing and affordable housing. Um, the next set of, uh, res uh, is, the next is a um, disposition and development agreement. That is the agreement which establishes the conditions upon which we will be conveying, as the city of Alameda, conveying land to Midpen, our partner, and the collaborating partners for the construction of the reshape campus. Um, and then the reshape development agreement is the, a separate ordinance. That is what vests them 10 years to build that project and vests their approval that the planning board approved in May. Um, very similar agreements then with BC West, Alum, uh, West Midway. That is, a, that is a LLC comprised of the Catellus Development Corporation and uh, Brookfield Homes. 
the DDA is the that ordinance is the is the document that conveys the land in phases as they build infrastructure. We pass infra, uh, land to them so they can then build homes on it, um, and they will also have a development agreement, which is a separate ordinance. And then the final two budget amendment. This is for a a loan essentially to Catellus so that they can start working on the infrastructure for reshape immediately that loan will be repaid by Catellus and or Site A when they're moving forward with their projects. Um, uh, so that's for infrastructure. And then finally, it's an extension of the exclusive negotiating agreement with Catellus and Brookfield so that those agreements extend until these approvals all vest. Um, you don't have to approve them all at once, but what's really important to understand is Neither project can go forward unless both are approved. So if you don't make any decisions tonight on any one of these or any set of these, it really means the, the whole project is sitting still until you do. So we're recommending that you take care of the whole bundle tonight. I'm going to turn it over to our first of two partners who will be presenting in Welcome. more specificity their projects. I think we've projects. got um, Doug, yes. Biggs. Doug Biggs. Doug Come on up. Is it? Uh -oh. Oh. Someone help him with the clicker, I think. Actually, no, that was a pantomime, I got there that. There we go. Yeah. Who's going to run the clicker? Are you going to run the clicker? I'll run the clicker. Okay. All and right. Mr. Biggs, bring that good. microphone down so Certainly. Good evening, well. Doug Biggs, Executive Director, Alameda Point Collaborative. I won't outdo the city clerk, but I'll try and talk fast <laughs> so we can get through this. Um, I'm here to kick off the presentation on reshape. The reshape stands for uh, rebuilding existing supportive housing at Alameda Point. Where did my clicker go? Okay, there we go. Uh, since 1999, the three Reshape partners have provided housing and services at Alameda Point to those experiencing homelessness. The yellow piece up there, oops, not quite yet. The yellow piece up there represents uh, 128 units of permanent supportive housing provided by uh, APC for families. Um, the blue area is Building Futures, who provide 52 permanent homes at Pesci Coleman Court at Alameda Point, and the green area is Operation Dignity, uh, that provides transitional and permanent housing for veterans at Alameda Point. In addition to housing, we provide support services including life and job skill training, mental health counseling, workforce development programs, domestic violence support groups, veteran support, and other uh, services. Next one. The collaborative partners have created a thriving and dynamic community using admittedly pretty crappy housing. Our residents are living in buildings constructed as temporary by the Navy that are expensive to maintain and lack of accessibility features considered industry standards for supportive housing units. They're surrounded by abandoned buildings and there's a critical need for new infrastructure and utilities for the entire area. Reshape was born from the voice of our community and our residents who have spoken loud and long for better housing, better access to transit, more accessible services. We have listened, beginning work on this project more than 15 years ago and drawing on resident input throughout the process. The vision of the project we have created with our community is to right-size our footprint from over 34 acres to an 8.7-acre trauma-informed campus that will create cohesive, safe, and accessible living for our most vulnerable neighbors. In 2015, we brought on board Midpen Housing, a highly respected community development partner, to turn our vision into reality. It's my pleasure to introduce Abby Goldwar Potlery to talk briefly about the plan that has taken shape. Get out of your way. Welcome. 
Good evening, Madam Mayor, Council Members. It's great to be back here again. Um, as Doug mentioned, I'm Abby Goldler-Putler. I'm a Vice President of Housing Development at MidPen. With me here tonight from MidPen is Sarah McIntyre, um, also working on the Reshape Project. <clears throat> um, we're really excited to be here tonight. This feels like a really big milestone. This is MidPen's first community in the city of Alameda. And as Doug mentioned, we bring uh, expertise and experience developing communities like this. Um, and we're just really excited to get going. And we believe that our experience, um, currently we have over 1,400 homes under construction, um, is just what uh, this team needs to, uh, to, keep, to get this moving. And that it's so nicely complemented by our partners who will be providing the on-site support and services to residents at Alameda Point to help them thrive. As was mentioned, we were here in front of some of you in 2018 to have a DDA and development plan approved. Um, and we are here tonight after working very closely with the city staff and with Brookfield and Catellus on this West Midway plan. Next slide. <clears throat> What you have in front of you is our vision. And this vision has really stayed with us as a, as a touch point for uh, almost 10 years now. Um, it was created out of community engagement that we um, held throughout over the last almost 10 years um, with residents, two workshops that had over 100 attendees, as Doug mentioned, really centering it in resident input. And since then, we've gone back several times as the process has, has continued and we've done focus groups and we've had one-on-one -on -one interviews with residents. And every time we learn something new and we try to get it into the plan, and I would say we're still doing that. Um, this plan is a really great start and we're gonna, uh, if approved tonight, we're gonna move forward with our design um, review packages uh, immediately, uh, and there will be more time for input. So we're really excited about that. We're excited to create this thriving community and create safe spaces for our residents. Next slide. <clears throat> this is our new development plan, which we think is a great plan for many reasons. Um, just to orient you, there are four phases um, kind of in each corner <laughs> of the, of the um, site. And um, the first two phases will uh, be built along Pan Am to take advantage of the city's uh, infrastructure that you are already putting in. And that combined with the site prep that Catellus will be, um, that Catellus will be doing um, gives us the certainty that we need to uh, move forward with the design and start securing all of the funding that we need to move forward. Much of that funding has uh, deadlines to, to move forward with it. Um, and so we are excited to have that certainty and to be able to move forward with those first two phases um, immediately. Um, but beyond the infrastructure, we, we think this plan really captures the vision of our, of our residents and of the partners um, really thinking about how we interact with the external community, but also create a lot of safe spaces within the footprint of this community to allow people who have maybe experienced trauma um, or people who are just trying to kind of figure out where they belong within the community. What we heard from residents is that they wanna be able to be part of the larger West Midway neighborhood and part of larger Alameda, and they want the ability to hang out in that plaza or um, you know, be at the uh, 
uh, one of the garden areas that we're going to have within this a lot of open space on the site. I'm particularly excited about, we, we sort of have a placeholder right up at Pan Am. You'll see two little small rectangles right next to that farm. It's, a, it's what we're thinking of as probably like a farm stand, some way to sort of interact with people who might be on Pan Am way and bring people into the community, but in a, in a kind of controlled, <laughs> controlled way. So um, that's just one example of a lot of, we have a lot of great ideas there. Um, I think, yeah, go to the next slide. This just highlights, same, same image on the site plan, um, but wanted to highlight the orange spaces are all kind of co-located uh, community service space where we would have um, kind of complementary services being provided by the three organizations, Alameda Point Collaborative, Building Futures, and Operation Dignity, um, and just the ample amount of open space that we're, we're still programming and still figuring out exactly how it will get used, but we're, we're really excited. We have a lot of really great ideas there. Next slide. Just that image to get you excited. <laughs> We're excited. Um, we haven't designed the buildings yet. That's the next step. So this is just to give us a sense of the scale, how that might feel with the barn, the farm, and those kind of buildings all kind of facing out onto that plaza. Next. And you know, last we just end with that we're really excited to get going. Um, this is a photo from a wall raising that we did at a project last year. But you know, I, I think that um, we have worked really collaboratively with Brookfield and Catellus over the last several years. And of course, could not have done this without everyone um, at the city, Scott, Andrew, Jen. Um, and we are ready to move design review forward. And as I mentioned, start applying for funding. So we're, we're really excited to be here and we're happy to answer questions. And I'll pass it over to Sean. Mr. Wiskeman, three minutes or less. <laughs> you can do it. Good evening, Mayor Ashcraft and members of the City Council. My name is Sean Wiskeman with Catellus. I'm here on behalf of, of our partnership with Brookfield. And uh, excitement is certainly a word I've heard a lot tonight. Uh, but I also wanted to say that we feel the weight of this moment. So uh, it's important for our companies. It's important for so many members of, of the City of Alameda, and including staff. Um, so uh, I'll talk very quickly here. Uh, we are crystal clear on the priority. Um, that is to get going and get reshape going and to do it and do it now. Uh, we've worked really hard with staff, really hard with reshape to develop a, a development plan um, that uh, works great, it, it, uh, but it's, it's feasible and it's executable. And all of the documents before you tonight for approval create the roadmap for that execution. Uh, next slide, I'm gonna talk really quickly. The development plan, we really focused on connections, connections for pedestrians, for bicycles, uh, for autos, and we worked really hard with staff uh, to settle some concerns that they had early on to make those connections even stronger and fit within the specific plan. Uh, next slide. And, uh, and as Andrew mentioned in his, in his proposal, this is a development plan uh, made up of mixed incomes, um, different varieties of, of product types, uh, and for a, for a number of different, different folks, and, we're, uh, uh, and, and we think it works and, and works really well. And this has been a, a, a part of the development plan. We've really seen Brookfield's uh, expertise as a residential developer come through in, in the creation of this plan. Next slide. And um, 
Well, Abby just said it, we're, we're ready to go. Uh, you have the right team before you. Catellus has been a, uh, a corporate partnership, a partner of the city for a number of years. Uh, we've developed over $250 million in infrastructure. Uh, what happened on July 5th was, was the completion of our phase two over the waterfront park at Alameda Landing and the opening of our public dock. That was a big accomplishment for us. We we're ready to go, we're ready to get started, and we have an amazing partner in Brookfield. Um, they are, um, they're, uh, uh, they're here tonight for to answer any questions, but, uh, uh, but, but between the two of us, we're ready to go, and we're ready to go right now. Uh, this is the time. We've never been here uh, at, at, at this close of a moment to get this project started, and, and it begins tonight with your support, and, uh, and we're really excited. We have a whole army of folks here to answer any questions you might have, including a, a number of folks out in, in, the, uh, uh, in, the, uh, in, in the Zoom world. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Well done, everybody. All right, um, that was the extent of the, the staff presentation. Look at that, with 27 seconds to go. Okay, well done, thank you so much. Okay, um, I know we have um, public comment, but any clarifying questions from the council before we go to our public comment? I'll start from my left council member, Jensen, um, please. This is for Mr. Thomas. Um, just quickly, uh, there was, you discussed um, the the schedule of what we're going to do tonight, and you also discussed um, what is the historic, um, what has happened in the past with this project a little bit. Can you just um, expand uh, on what the planning board has done? We, I know that the planning board's had quite a bit of input here too. Yes, so. that's right. Thank now you. the planning board plays a very important role in these projects. So what happens before these, before all these agreements come to you, is we go through the the site planning exercise, and you just sort of you saw a little glimpse of it from the two presentations from Sean and Abby, but. That was the product, I mean, what they showed you was one picture of, of they come out of 20-page documents, which are called the development plan. So all the details behind every single one of those things. So that's the development plan, and that's all worked through and ultimately approved by the planning board. So those documents are there, they're approved, um, they're, they were attached in all those volumes of paper you received with the packet. but. Um, that's the roadmap. That's the physical map and, and plan for how the land is actually developed. And the planning board um, study sessions and then ultimate public hearings. That planning board also reviews the CEQA um, uh, findings um, that Laura mentioned and that we'll be asking you to make again tonight um, before you approve the agreements. Thank you. And that's just, just to be clear, there's been a number, probably I've, I've seen at least four, but there's been probably many more hearings, public hearings, as well as study sessions yes. with the planning board. Thank, thank you, Mr. Thomas. Vice Mayor Desai, did I see your hand up? Just a quick comment. Just want to express my appreciation to staff um, for, you know, uh, meeting with me, uh, bringing me up to speed on a lot of the issues. Um, appreciation to staff for the meetings that we've held in the back, back there. Um, and. Uh, also, you know, appreciation to the uh, members of the stakeholders involved, uh, meeting with them, understanding their um, project even more. And so, uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing, you know, what the rest of the people have to say. Thank you. Clarifying questions over here. Councilmember Hura Spencer. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, my first question was I wanted to know how many children live, will be living in the supportive housing, uh, eight ages, you know, that attend uh, up to, um, uh, 12th grade. We currently have approximately 200 children 
that live at Alameda Point in our housing, we'll be adding an additional 90 units of that. And of that 90 units, about 36 will be focused on families. We can't say how the large the families will be in, but it'll be an increase. Um, and we, you may have seen in the picture that one of the focus groups was with our children and youth. Um, and they helped us to design some of the pathways to schools to keep them off of Main Street now and also have a big voice in all of the uh, recreational areas that are gonna be created in the green space at the site. Thank you. Um, do any of the other uh, partners uh, house uh, children? Uh, they do. Uh, Operation Dignity has some, some kids in, in their housing and, and building futures that Bessie Coleman does also. Um, APC is the primary uh, program provider, so kids from all of those, those uh, uh, all of those uh, agencies can attend uh, our after school. We have, currently we have two after school programs, one for uh, younger kids, uh, K through five I wanna say, and then one for teens. In the new development we'll be adding a third which will focus on kindergarten and pre-K. So does the 236 children include children from all of the partner organizations? Yes, yeah. Thank you. Uh, what percentage have cars or um, from all the partners? I, you know, the percentage of cars is very low. It, it's historically, it's been about 30% uh, across the, the entire development. All right, and then, um, and this question probably doesn't go to you, but in regards to initially when this came to council in 2017, the reshaped part, uh, the supportive housing was close to Main Street, and now it is farther away. Now it's closer to um, uh, Pan Am and uh, Almanac, the breweries up on that part as opposed to being uh, farther to Maine. And when I looked at the development plans from both 17 and 2023, it has the exact same language as in cut and paste of the community outreach uh, of how many people, it says over 100 residents participated in each, it's on page four of each plan. But there's no change in regards to the outreach that's in writing here. Um, so I would like to know uh, what new outreach has occurred since uh, 2017 in regards to changing the location, moving it farther from the schools, farther from Main Street, farther from the grocery stores, things like that. Mr. Thomas, why don't you um, address how that change came about? Thank Obviously, you. Obviously, you've already heard from Reshape and Midpen about all the work they did with their residents. And then what we did was with the workshops that, that um, Councilmember Jensen discussed, as well as the term sheet public hearing that occurred in, in front of the city council, um, we started socializing and discussing the idea of moving the location because we started thinking about things had changed since 2017. Things had, we were building infrastructure on Pan Am. We were seeing how Alameda Point was developing. Um, and we now had the West Midway team designing and they, their first design had the, the, the reshape project on the, you know, on the former location. And we all sort of looked at it and was like, huh, that's not looking right. And we started thinking about all the different variables. And um, so we had a workshop with the, with the planning board. And we, that was the first workshop. We were like, you know, we're thinking about moving this over for these reasons. Um, and then we came to the council in 2022, I believe, July, uh, with the term sheet. And um, that was one of the major things that we pointed out, both in the staff report and in all the exhibits, was 
we're thinking we should move this campus, you know, the, the reshape piece to the to over closer to Pan Am, where the infrastructure is, where they would be more at the heart of Alameda Point. So, um, and then of course all the community workshops, public hearings from that point on um, had that design and location. All right, so the community- We've got as much public input as the rest of the project, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so the community wants to be farther from the schools and closer to Almanac. Is, is that, no, that's, what, about, that's what um, happens here. It's not about being closer to Almanac. It's about putting, the, putting them closer to the infrastructure so we can build their project sooner and more cheaply um, and not spend it because the city was putting in a bunch of, we put in the infrastructure on Pan Am. So by moving it, it does a couple things. It allows the project, the reshape project to go more quickly. It, it reduces the amount of infrastructure that has to be built for the reshape campus up front. It puts the uh, out, the reshape project and their and their residents closer to the heart of Alameda Point, which is where ultimately the services, um, the, the commercial, uh, other services, hopefully the theater someday, um, the administrative services, which are going to be at the heart of Alameda Point, closer to City Hall West. Main Street is always going to be the edge. It's always going to be the perimeter of Alameda Point. Um, the center of Alameda Point will be to the west of, of the West Midway Reshape Project, not to the east. All right, so um, so I was on school board for six years, right? And um, I'm just curious, though, in regards to the uh, the distance that the students will have to walk uh, from moving it farther from the schools. I've, I've asked for the measurements in advance. And, and it's interesting, with the new location, it's going to, West Tower will go through to Main Street. However, on the other side of Bayport, they, it will not continue, is my understanding. No, so no. the people, the students that are walking or riding their bikes, uh, can you explain how they will actually get to Ruby Bridges? And then those that drop off their younger siblings and then go to Ensenel, uh, how long it takes? So the, the old location and the new location, approximately 1,000 feet apart. So that is about a three-minute walk. That's the difference in distance if you're walking. Um, the, um, they're both on West Midway Street. They're both, excuse me, West Midway Avenue. That, so they're not moving up and down. They're, they're on the same street, West Midway. It's just about whether you're 1,000 feet to the west or to the east. Um, west Midway goes, crosses Main Street and becomes um, uh, Willie Stargell. So that, it crosses right over. So if you're walking, whether you're on the old location of the campus or the reshaped campus or the new location, you're walking along West Midway, you're crossing Main Street at a traffic signal, and then you're walking 2,500 feet to, Ro to Ruby Bridges. If you're walking to Ensenal High School, it's about 8,000 feet from the corner of West Midway and Main Street. If we had left those the, we, from the old location, and this is what Doug was referring to, like they're basically walking down Main Street 1,000 feet, or 8,000 feet to, which is about a 20-minute walk, 24-minute walk down to Ensenal High School. The new location, you're coming down through the heart of Alameda Point. So down Pan Am, coming down past the Shoreline Park, and then over to Ensenal High School. So. You know, from our perspective, the benefits of moving the campus a thousand feet to the west, there were multiple benefits. Um, I, I acknowledge it's it's an extra three minutes of walking for 
kids walking to either Ruby Bridges or to, to Ensignal High School, uh, not even three minutes difference. All right, um, in regards to funding, um, can you describe another project where we've used this base reuse money to, uh, for some, something similar like this for a development as opposed to uh, infrastructure that would be used by anyone uh, at, at the point? Well, let's be, I mean, just to make clear for the public, the money that we are loaning is base reuse money. It's for city public infrastructure. That is what it's for. Um, we want our private developers to actually fund that for us, but what we're doing is we're fronting it so that they can start tomorrow. Then when they start the market rate project, they repay that money to the base reuse fund. So it's a way of, it's basically a loan of base reuse money. Now, and all the infrastructure out there is being built with base reuse money. It's either from the sale of buildings or the leasing of buildings. So that's what that fund is from. It's for public infrastructure. The idea here is front some money to Brookfield uh, West, uh, you know who I'm talking about. Catellus, those guys. <laughs> they can start building that infrastructure tomorrow. Then when they start building their project and the rest of the infrastructure, they, they pay us back. That's, that's but, the concept. Okay, but my question was, when has the city done a loan to a developer for housing from the base reuse fund? Well, I'll just say, I mean, this, it, it's very similar. I mean, if it, exactly like this, we have not done a transaction exactly like this. But Site A, for instance, it's all just land value, right, is what it is. And, and we're taking that the land value that they would be paying, we're just fronting that money so we can get started faster before they start. But this is essentially what Site A did, the $10 million that, that they fronted to build the ferry terminal that we use to leverage other sources of funds is essentially the city's land value that we kind of required them to build in the form of a ferry terminal. This is the exact same kind of approach, which is to take our land value. In this case, we're fronting it so that we detangle the kind of start of the Catellus project from Reshape and we control that timing now because we're fronting and loaning that money, but it's essentially our land value that we're leveraging to build infrastructure for the supportive housing project. And Ms. Ott, when you mention it's a loan, and Mr. Thomas, you mentioned that, does that mean there's interest involved in the repayment? Can yes. you explain that? Mm -hmm. um, well, there's, we basically will collect interest so that when they pay back, it'll include interest with prime plus, plus one. One percent, prime, prime plus one. I think it's prime plus one. I'd have to double check the numbers, but um, yeah, that's that's the idea, um, and that's the intent here. That we, I mean, I just just want to reemphasize, like they're not building infrastructure just for reshape. This is this is building a chunk of West Midway. This is building an internal street to this. These are they're building with this money public streets, public sewer systems, public utilities. Um, Reshape is building all everything that's on the land, the buildings, the the um, the um, you know the interconnections between the public systems and the private water systems. That's all being financed by Midpen and, and Reshape. So I'd like to go back to my question, if possible, Mayor. 
you still got the floor. Um, All right, because you had asked a question in between, so oh, yeah, I it was related. Sure it was related. Please continue. All right, uh, so I want to go back to the response from the city manager. Um, I, I believe that the description was uh, that when uh, a developer site A put up the 10 million for the ferry, that that is the same as the city putting up its 9.5 million for um, this project. All I'm saying is that the 9.5, we the way the transaction worked before the city decided to front the money as a loan up front was that Catellus was going to build that infrastructure essentially as a, a land payment. They were going to build the infrastructure for reshape kind of in exchange for the land that they were going to use for the market rate development. So that's very similar to what Side A did for the ferry terminal or the other infrastructure for that. It's just in this case, because these two projects are so linked, and we wanted Reshape and MidPen to be able to go apply for funding as soon as possible. We didn't want to have to wait for Catellus to start their project to do that. And so by fronting that mo money as a loan up front, it's essentially taking our land value and, and providing it the, that they would have paid us anyway. It's just that we're fronting the money up front so that we can control the timing and allow Reshape to get started sooner. Um, so it's, it's a similar thing. It's just that we're, we're essentially loaning it up front um, really to ourselves in some ways. I mean, because we were going to get that infrastructure from them eventually, we're just getting it sooner. And what guarantee does the city have that it will be repaid the 9.5 million? Well, there's a, there's a guarantee built into the, a financial guarantee built into the agreements. Just like oh. any other loan with a private entity. Actually, this is not like a loan that you get from a bank. This is money from the city. Uh, but but guarantee is there. But what happens if uh, they don't build the market rate housing or they don't build the market rate housing for 10 years? They would be in default and would have, and would, at that point, they wouldn't be the partner if they haven't built the housing in 10 years. So essentially, what you're, that scenario, there's, they don't do anything for 10 years. So so. In that scenario, they're not in this deal anymore, but there has, we do have, they have built some infrastructure for us with our money, and we have a guarantee to try to go and get that loan repaid. And what is the guarantee? That was my question. It's a financial guarantee. You have, that they have so to, is it personal guarantee by the developers? What is the guarantee? Well, we can add, I don't know if we want Karen to come and, and respond, but it's a financial guarantee that is essentially backed by the developer. So the event that they do default, that we can call on that guarantee and therefore essentially get that loan repaid. Welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself and yes. then answer Good the evening. question? Thank you. Karen Tiedemann, Goldfarb and Littman, outside counsel for the city. Um, yeah, as part of the requirements in the disposition and development agreement, the developers have to provide a payment guarantee from their parent corporations. So should they not pay, we would be able to collect on that payment guarantee. It's a very typical financial instrument that's used to secure loans. So. Thank you. Anything further, council member? I'm not at this time, thanks. Okay, any other clarifying questions? Okay, let's go to public comment, Madam Clerk. We have a bit. We have a few, yeah. I'll start with the first three in person. Um, Doyle Saylor, Andreas Kluver, and Todd Hickman. All right, welcome everyone. And so what's their time? Um, oh, everybody will get two minutes because we have like, I think close to 20. Hello, okay. <laughs> welcome, Speaker Saylor, nice to see you. Uh, good evening. Uh, 
uh, Mayor Ashcraft and City Council members. I'm Doyle Saylor with uh, Renewed Hope. Um, a quick comment, I'm in favor and advocate voting yes on the reshape West Midway project, replacing 200 dilapidated units plus adding another 100 units. The current residents living in old naval base housing deserve to move on from their current decrepit living spaces to fully built family living spaces. These Alameda residents include hundreds of children, as we had to testify tonight, made to live in poor housing conditions. Please vote yes tonight on the Reshape project. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, um, Andreas Kluver, welcome. Yes, um, good evening, Mayor Ashcraft, council members and staff. My name is Andreas Kluver, secretary treasurer of the Alameda County Building and Construction Trades Council, representing over 20 unions in the construction sector. Um, I want to first take the opportunity for thanking this council for your, your support of working men and women, especially in the trades with your passage of the project labor agreement we have with the city and the PLA policy. And for those of you that remember when we were passing the PLA policy, this project was actually grandfathered out. It was not included in the policy. However, there was a strong commitment from council members here uh, to try to do our best that we could to include the labor standards in this project. And we started meeting with the developers very soon after that. We've been meeting for quite a while. It is a complicated project, a lot of interwoven components, which does make it challenging to, to work a labor agreement. But we were very successful in doing that. I have to say, both sides showed tremendous flexibility in working an arrangement. I'm not going to go into the, into the arrangement. There's three components to it, working with the various developers. And even up, I think, until about noon today, we were still hashing out the final uh, term sheets of what we call the horizontal agreement. Um, so we're in strong support. This is a win-win project, obviously, from the presentation and the amount of, uh, of housing that it's going to provide and the services it's going to provide for the residents that are currently there. It's a win. And it's also going to be a win for labor. Um, so I really strongly support this project. I'd also like to thank city staff. I know we had many conversations around this project and um, definitely it's a win-win and labor is in full support. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Well, I've heard it all tonight. Yes, great project, great for the developers, not great for the people of Alameda, not great for the middle class. When you continue to push these excessively high numbers of affordable housing, you price out the middle class. The middle class suffers. And if you don't know, the middle class is the backbone, the backbone, the economic base of Alameda. They spend the money, pay the tax, all of it, the middle class. And this screws the middle class. Developers like Pulte, who didn't finish their job at Bay 37, who now want to screw the residents. They want to build high-story, low-income housing to block their views and to negate all those premiums that they paid for their view of the park and their open space. Now here we have our 290 funds being leveraged, being um, hijacked by this council, by these developers. Those are for base reuse. Those are for the point. Those are our funds. The businesses that have suffered out there, the businesses that put in the duty and the time last 10 years, and now you're going to risk our funds with these developers, developers that could go out of business. Oh yeah, there's a personal guarantee from the developer. 
What happens when the developer is gone? Have you watched the last economic cycles when the housing crashes and there's no more profit and the developers fold? So are these developers gonna pay back our reuse funds when they're out of business? This is a, um, this is a sham. That is our money, those base funds, those 290 funds are for the reuse of the point that money should be secured. It is absurd, utterly absurd, this line of thought, this line of reasoning that that money will be paid back once they make money on market rate housing. Can any of you guarantee that that market rate housing is gonna to come to fruition and pay a profit? We got a crystal ball. Again, have you looked at the last four economic downturns and seen what happens to housing? So here we are again, with developers will say anything, just like Pulte and Bay 37, they will say anything. So what I see here tonight is disgusting. For you even to breach the concept of stealing our base funds is waste, fraud, and abuse. I believe three of you, you three of time you is have up. the our capacity next is to- Madam Clerk? Uh, remotely, Thank you so much. So Thank you so much. Our next speaker is what again? Um, we have, I'll call three remote speakers remote now. Speakers. Um, okay. Matt Reagan. Oh, welcome, Speaker Reagan. Good evening, Mayor Ezzi Ashcraft, Council members. Uh, my name is Matt Reagan. I'm Senior Vice President of Policy at the Bay Area Council, and I'm here tonight representing our 350 uh, employer members across the region. Uh, first of all, I'd, I'd like to congratulate you for being, if not the first, certainly one of the top two or three cities of our 101 cities in the Bay Area to get your housing element approved. It was uh, quite first. A, a first, thank you, Mayor. Um, quite an achievement that you should be very proud of, but as we all know, that is just half the battle. Um, getting the plan approved means nothing unless you approve the units afterwards. Um, you have a phenomenal project here. You have the gold standard of a development team with Catellus, with Brookfield, and with um, the affordable team as well um, with MidPan. So uh, we would urge swift uh, approval. Um, it's it's a project that, that meets all the needs of the community. And we uh, you've got, as I say, a phenomenal team who know how to execute projects of this scale. So please vote yes, move it forward as quickly as possible. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker. Samantha Green. Welcome, Speaker Green. Good evening. Good evening, Madam Mayor and City Council members. My name is Samantha Green. I'm a homeowner here in Alameda, a parent and a member of the Shrub. I've worked in social research on housing, homelessness, and social services for more than a decade, and I'm here to support the Reshape in West Midway project. Um, I was here just a few months ago presenting the community needs assessment in which we noted affordable housing and shelter were the primary concern of social service providers in our community. The Reshape project is an incredible opportunity for the city to effectively address housing insecurity and homelessness on the island. Along with our existing programs, it ensures access to a full continuum of housing options for those who are currently unhoused or in need of additional housing assistance. This is an incredible opportunity for our city to show our commitment to our stated values and our dedication to practices that will create results. This isn't Band-Aid solutions or boulders. I urge City Council to do everything you can to ensure the success of Reshape and West Midway Project, and I thank you for your time. And thank you for your service on this, Shreb, uh, Ms. Green. Our next speaker. Madeline Sadek. Welcome, Speaker Sadek. Evening, Madam Mayor, Council members, and City staff. Madeline Sadek, CEO and President of Alameda Chamber Economic Alliance. As the voice of the business community representing 16,435 of the workforce in Alameda, we are in full support of this long overdue development. It's 
way, way, way overdue, actually. And I want to really echo what Matt Reagan said very beautifully about us being the first one on passing the housing element, because really um, having this project with this amount of homes that are being developed, and most of them are going to be actually almost close to 50% of affordable housing, that is crucial for our businesses, our employers to have their employees live and work in Alameda. Plus, this will really have create more job opportunities in the city. We urge you to approve agenda item 7D for reshape and agenda item 7E for West Midway project. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker. I'll call three in person. Um, Zach Bowling, Vince Sugru, and Deborah Young. All right. Welcome, Speaker Bowling. Welcome back. Uh, good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, I'm thrilled to be speaking on behalf of myself, but also on the rest of the East Bay UMB leadership and our 3,500 uh, housing advocates that we have in the East Bay to reiterate our support for Westwood May and the associated reshape project. Um, we sent a letter. I'm not going to reiterate every single point. It's silly. But I want to say this is a great project, and I'm I'm, it's so fantastic to see it moving forward. Um, I'm warmed actually to see all the letters from our community and our businesses nearby that would benefit from this housing. That's just fantastic. APC, Building Futures, um, Operation Dignity, they do so much good work in our community and I think this would just advance their mission so much. Um, I don't want to reiterate the points that Director Thomas made by sparing you how much these are necessary for our arena, we know that. But also just like this is important for our housing element and the commitments we made to HCD in the programs that are in there that if we don't approve this housing, we would probably face decertification. Um, but I will say that these are incredibly necessary, probably morally necessary types of units for us to approve um, as a community. This is going to provide much needed mixed income housing with affordable by design workforce housing in our community, which is just the most important type of housing that we could probably approve in this community. Um, and to get on my soapbox, I shouldn't have to mention this, but the Bay Area is facing a severe housing shortage, which is causing skyrocketing homelessness and poverty. Um, many of the people that work here or live here in our community are being pushed out further and further um, every day and forced to face uh, deliberating uh, commutes and uh, create more traffic, exacerbating our climate crisis. Um, finally, um, Council has already approved the overall projects and significantly scrutinized these things in the past. Uh, and just approving this project to sort of moves along um, our city's commitment to how important these projects are. So I'll leave it at that with nine seconds left. Thank you. Thank you so much. Next speaker, welcome. Vincent. Speaker Sugru. Hey, good, good evening, or should I say good night, council members and <laughs> honorable evening. mayor. My name is Vince Sugru, state legislative director for Sheet Metal Workers Local 104, and I'm before you tonight speaking on behalf of dozens of working families in Alameda County that work for Local 104. They're a part of the middle class. They're happy to be a part of this city, and we all strongly support this project here tonight. This project exemplifies Brookfield, Catellus, and Midpen's dedication to helping our city meet its housing needs while supporting our community. This project will have much needed range of housing, including a portion dedicated to workforce housing, where our apprentices and journey persons will have the ability to stay in the city of Alameda and commute to nearby projects. The other beautiful part of that is they're also going to have the opportunity to be building this project because the developers have made a commitment to utilizing a local union workforce, apprentices, journey persons, and they're going to pay livable wages with sustainable benefits. This is a huge benefit to both the city, the community, and 
to help us continue to grow in our apprenticeship programs. I'm so happy to stand here tonight as someone who speaks on behalf of the middle class and say, this is a great project. Please approve it and move forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker, Deborah Young. Welcome, Speaker Young. In person? Yes, in person. Okay. Oh, she left? They left. Okay. Okay, so Liz Varela. Ah, she's here. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Liz Varela. Nice to see you always. I'm Liz Varela, I'm the Executive Director of Building Futures, and we run Bessie Coleman Court on the base and Midway Shelter, along with other services in San Le I mean, in Alameda. I wanna reiterate that those folks that we serve on the base are longtime Alameda residents. They've been living on that base for well over 20 years. And unfortunately, they lived in housing that isn't quite up to what, we, what they need, that meets their needs, their programmatic needs, their life goals. And I think this is a, an incredible step towards that. I've been working at Building Futures for uh, over 30 years, so I've been involved in this process from the beginning. <laughs> and this is a long time coming. And I would say, even though it's a long time coming, I just wanna thank partners. We've been working conscientiously including the residents every step of the way and including our staff every step of the way. And what we, what we are benefiting from, unlike other projects, is we can ask the people who are gonna live there, what do you need, what do you want, what do you see, what do you hope for? And um, so I think that's gonna be an incredible um, plus to this um, project. I also wanna th thank real quickly the staff who've worked over the last 20 plus years at the city of Alameda who understand how important this project is and rebuilding it is. And it always have met us with creativity and compassion. I just wanna thank all of you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Our next speaker. Um, I'll go to three remote, uh, Shelby. Uh, welcome speaker Shelby. connection um, perhaps and you the speaker I've, I've asked them to unmute but perhaps they don't have the most current version of zoom or are not um, able to mute themselves can, oh, can you hear you me yep we can hear you great oh, thank you uh, first I would like to um, just say that I want to reiterate my comment that I submitted um, to the City Council ahead of time and I would like to also encourage the City Council to fact check both the assertions in my comments, as well as the staff summary reports and presentation given tonight about um, the data that supports relocation of the reshap portion from their ideal 10 acre spot that had went underwent a two year planning process versus the increased density and the eight acre parcel that doubles the impacts at the new spot and the new spot does not, it will not be able to achieve the project goals because it is not supposed to be cited in the middle of the action. It is supposed to be cited in a secluded area that is safe and secure feeling for trauma, traumatized people who are trying to heal. And that's something that is also in the Main Street plan that is supposed to be located at that ideal location. Um, I've noticed that um, there is a rush to do the, the project, but in the rush to doing it right, it should not be a rush to do it now. And the um, current plan as proposed is, is, um, is going to increase the inequities for this vulnerable population 
and is not should not be acceptable for the supporting partners or Alameda. In addition, the mixed use uh, of the West Midway project is not included and is not compliant with the East, uh, the ABAG plan and also should not be uh, approved because of the excessive impacts that are not approved by the land use plans. They should retain their configurations as designed by the 2018 approvals and the Main Street specific plan. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Janice Anderson. Welcome, Speaker Anderson. Good evening. Um, I just wanted to voice support for this project and echo all of the things that proponents have already said. The housing crisis we are seeing is a moral, moral failing for our country, state, and city. Um, I will likely be priced out of the city by the time this is completed, but as someone who has seen the conversation and the discourse around housing um, over the last few years, uh, seeing so much support for this project gives me some hope, and I just really hope that you all push this through. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Sophia DeWitt. Welcome, Speaker DeWitt. Good evening, Mayor and City Council members. Um, as a resident of Alameda, a member of Renewed Hope Housing Advocates, and on behalf of East Bay Housing Organizations, I take great pleasure in um, encouraging you to uh, support these projects and to take the actions necessary to move them forward, including um, the Surplus Land Act resolution, approving of the development and disposition agreement and the development agreement. Um, these are, um, this is a quality project that has been in the works for many, many years, as you have heard, uh, with um, deeply qualified partners who already do great work in the city of Alameda, and this housing is much needed. Um, it will help the city to meet its uh, housing element goals, which is important, the project will also provide additional green space and other amenities uh, for the entire community as well as for the residents there. So uh, let's get this project started and let's get it done. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, I'll go back to the last two in person. Uh, Margaret Bouchard and Randy Rentschiller. All right. Welcome, Speaker Bouchard. Um, hi, Marguerite Bichon, um, Operation Dignity. That's all right. <laughs> thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Council members. Um, we're very happy at Operation Dignity to support this this plan. Um, to say we're excited is kind of an understatement. It's uh, been on pause, you know, on pause more or less, and to see it actually now potentially come to fruition is is fabulous. We are very um, supportive of the relocation. It will be less disruptive to our residents, our veterans and it allows us to move forward more quickly. Um, we've been waiting for over 20 years for this project. This, this housing is so, so yesterday, so old. We really need to give our veterans better housing, something that is, is um, affordable, but <clears throat> also current and up-to-date and green and everything else. So we're super excited about that, and we're very excited to, to be part of this partnership. It's been We've worked so closely together. I've only been with Operation Dignity six and a half years, so not as long as everybody else in this room, but we have worked um, kind of around, you know, every, we're meeting all the time, looking at this every which way, 
and really thinking of all the considerations that are best for our veterans and all our residents. So thank you and thank you to city staff as well for their thoughtful support. Thank you for your comments and thank you for also being a valuable member of my mayor's COVID-19 vaccine task force. You are awesome. All right, our next speaker, maybe last speaker is um, uh, Mandy Ranchler, welcome. Good evening, Madam Mayor, members of council. Uh, my name is Randy Renschler. I'm here representing the board of Alameda Point Collaborative, of which I'm privileged to be a member of. I'd first like just to thank your staff um, and yourselves for your incredible diligence on this project for so, so long. Um, I think this project and the many votes you've taken in the past on this base are consistent with the values of this community and consistent with the values that so many of you on this board articulate. And we fully support um, the recommendations that is before you. And we, we look forward to this project and many more that we hope um, can uh, build out the base to the community that, that all of us want. So thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Jessica Murphy. Welcome Speaker Murphy. Good evening, Mayor Ezzie Ashcraft and members of the council. My name is Jessica Murphy and I'm calling on behalf of Alameda Point Partners the master developer of Site A at Alameda Point. I'd like to express our support for the West Midway and Reshape projects presented to you tonight by the experienced development team of Brookfield, Cotellus, and Midpen Housing. Above all else, we support the continued development of the Alameda Point community. Today, there are over 450 new households at the Point. These new residents enjoy ferry service to the city, acres of new green space and parks, and are served by new and critical infrastructure. We look forward to the development team continuing the momentum with the development plan and related DDA being presented for your approval tonight. Together, Site A, Reshape, and West Midway will contribute over 2,000 residential mixed income units, which represents a key contribution to the city's achievement of its RENA goal. We would also like to emphasize that Midpens Reshape is a uniquely important project that will ensure that residents of the existing housing stock in the area will be able to call the improved project home for a long time to come. Moving forward with the West Midway and reshape development is an important step to ensure the future of the Alameda Point Waterfront District. If the combined project is denied, I fear that the ultimate success of Site A and future development in the area may be impacted significantly. Alameda Point Partners is proud to be working alongside Brookfield, Catellus, and Midpens so that together we can ensure the naval base, the former naval base, reaches its full potential as an urban waterfront mixed use community. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker. That was our last speaker. With that, I'm closing public comment on the combined items 7D and 7E. Thank you all for speaking. And let's open it up for um, council comment and a motion or two. Where should we start? Councilmember Vela, it's yours. Um, so Madam Mayor, I'm gonna keep my comments really brief since we've um, heard uh, a lot about this uh, project, not just tonight, but over the course of several years. I think there was a comment about rushing. Um, I've We've been voting on this project since I was first elected to council and it was being discussed even before I was elected to council. So um, that shows you how long it's taken um, us to get here. And certainly I think for the residents uh, of Alameda Point Collaborative uh, who have been waiting for updates and new housing, um, this is a very important vote tonight and impeding that progress does a substantial amount of harm. Um, 
there was an allegation, I think, about stealing funds. Um, the funds are literally going to fund infrastructure and reinvest at Alameda Point. That's exactly where this project is located. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're reinvesting uh, the funds, literally in the ground, to the services and the infrastructure that benefit everybody at Alameda Point. Um, so I think that that's you know critical. That's what we're we're doing. We're doing it in a way that's uh, building housing, meeting um, all of our goals. Um, I look forward to making a motion and support tonight. I just want to express thanks to th to staff uh, and all of those who've spent long hours getting us to this point. Thank you. Our next comment, Vice Mayor. Uh, well, first of all, thank you uh, to everyone uh, who sent um, emails and voicemails, uh, the time that you took to express your thoughts on this very important um, item uh, is certainly appreciated, not just by me, but, but certainly by all of us on city council. Um, you know, at uh, almost 700 units, 40% of which are guaranteed affordable, um, modern new units in place of uh, what arguably are decrepit um, housing out there. Um, you know, that's the type of thing that I think the, the island sorely needs, as does, uh, frankly, the East Bay. Um, and so, uh, you know, this is part of the um, path of, of making sure that uh, the west end of Alameda doesn't get dragged down by um, uh, by Alameda Point, you know it's work that started decades ago uh, with Bayport, and uh, continues with um, with uh, the um, West Midway Reshape Project along with uh, Side A, and you know the re the unfortunate part is Side A is is a bit um, delayed uh, due to market concerns, and that has had impacts with regard uh, to funding um, infrastructure where um, uh, the reshape project would take, would take place. And, and for that reason, that's why the city of Alameda, um, through its base conversion funds, is stepping up by investing uh, in, the, in nine to $10 million in the infrastructure improvements. Um, you know, we make uh, this kind of investment with eyes wide open. You know, we understand that there are risks, there are rewards. Um, but, you know, this city council um, uh, has always um, uh, weighed um, uh, the pros and cons of, of certain situations and, and moved accordingly. I mean, decades ago, um, could tell us um, uh, we had no money when we started what was uh, originally Bayport, that set of housing right next to the College of Alameda. We had no money back then. We, we had what was redevelopment, but we had no um, underlying um, uh, tax increments. So Catellus decades ago um, loaned us money, and it was a uh, it was um, a, a risky situation. And you know we were worried because we had a certain price point that in order to um, to you know make sure that uh, you know we, we we were not only whole but came out uh, positive. Um, and and that was a decision that we made with eyes wide open way back in 2003, 2004, 2002. And it's the same situation, you know, that, that we're, we're, we're facing today. Um, you know, we don't take lightly the fact that we are um, investing in um, base reuse um, uh, funds um, for, um, for uh, the infrastructure for reshape property. Um, 
you know, that's a serious uh, decision that we all make, but I know that every one of us on council, whether we're for this project or against it, you know, that we've weighed this um, situation considerably. I think on balance, um, this is a plus for all of the city of Alameda, but most, frankly, most especially, and I say this unashamedly, most especially for the west end of Alameda from where I, um, uh, where I come. Um, and, uh, you know, because I think Alameda is served uh, by having modern uh, new housing, um, 700, of, uh, 700 new housing, 40% um, of which um, is affordable at various um, income levels, not just um, very low income or low income, but you saw workforce housing in there, moderate income housing in there. So we are, you know, trying to hit the um, uh, budding middle class, um, but we're also, you know, hitting the market rate for those who are middle class and, uh, and, and, and even higher. Um, and that's something to be proud of, the fact that, you know, we're, we're hitting various um, income levels. So um, I uh, enthusiastically support this project. Um, I've never been ashamed of saying, you know, hey, let's build a lot of housing at Alameda Point because that's where, if we're gonna do a lot of housing, that's the place where we ought to do it. Um, uh, so, and I continue to say that um, here in 2023, as I did in 2003, as I did in 1995. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe you'll second that motion when Second. Councilmember Vella makes it. Councilmember Jensen, let's go to you next. Oh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Alameda is a, really a truly unique place, and one of the, the aspects, one of the, great, the greatest resources we have is Alameda Point. Now, we've been looking at ways to make use of that resource for the past 20, almost 20 years now, and it's really exciting for me, who recently joined this city council, to see the progress that we're making, thanks to our city staff and the city manager, but really thanks to partnerships like this. I'm so excited to see the partnership between Brookfield, Catellus, and the providers of social services to the most needy residents of Alameda at Alameda Point. And it, it, I don't, see how this reship could be done without the partnership. It's really tremendous to see how closely everyone has worked together to, to utilize the resource and to make sure that it's meeting the needs of everyone. It's meeting the needs of the developers, it's meeting the needs of the, the individuals who live at Alameda Point and will continue to live there and who will live more, more, more um, better, qual higher quality lives there once this project is completed. And so um, obviously I'm gonna support it because in many ways I, I think that um, just looking at what we did earlier tonight on Grand Street, this is another project that's gonna change the lives of people in Alameda. It's, it, thank you, I wanna thank staff of course, but really thanks to Brookfield Catellus for working so closely together with our community organizations and to the community for making sure that Alameda was able to move forward with our, with our, um, our housing plans, with our housing element, and to really utilize our resources in the best way possible. And finally, I, I, if I had any hesitation, it was erased tonight, thanks to uh, Mr. Kluver and um, to Vince Segura for 
for, for working closely and thanks to the partners again, another partnership, really a partnership to, to make life better for working families by doing the, the PLA and making sure that that's a part of this project. So I'm definitely um, very excited to support this and I think it's, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a model in my opinion, for other projects, not just here locally, but probably throughout the state. Thank you, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. So I want to thank uh, David Baker Architects for your plan of, t is, who's here from David Baker Architects? Is there anyone here from them? No, okay. So their name was on the plan of 2017. It's also on the plan for 2023. Um, but the plan that was done in 2017, I want to thank them for that work. Um, I do believe it was uh, something that we rarely ever, as a never see, it was go actually going to have the support of housing closer to the schools, closer to the grocery stores, closer to the libraries, closer to the bus stops and uh, closer to um, Main Street, as opposed to when the change took place, and I've asked repeatedly why, uh, the best answer that I can uh, understand from uh, is that it would get the housing done sooner. And I appreciate that. I think that that is actually a worthy goal. My concern, though, is I actually don't think it is appropriate to put the supportive housing next to breweries. I think that's a serious problem. I hope that that is not a model uh, for other cities to copy. I do support putting the, um, when I ask the question, you know, how, how many children are going to be going to our public schools? My background is on the school board. I um, have helped many students, and we do know that older students walk their younger siblings to the elementary school, and then they walk to the middle and high school. And the middle and high school now from this district, and the district will not be building new schools on the point um, because there's capacity at the existing schools. Uh, but the distance uh, to currently is a long ways. Why do we know this? Because if you look at Ruby Bridges right now, it is surrounded by market rate housing. There was in fact a slide that was um, in the, in when it came back to us in like 20, 22, I believe, uh, that had a sentence that I really didn't understand until I've had the couple tours out there recently, which didn't happen earlier because of COVID. But there was a sentence that said, um, this brings synergy to the market rate housing uh, by moving it, by having the market rate housing. Now the market rate housing portion will be closer to Main Street, closer to the elementary schools, closer to the grocery stores, closer to the existing community. Um, and as what quite often happens with supportive housing, it will be farther from those points. Uh, but the synergy that was discussed uh, a couple years ago, now I get it because it's that the market rate housing on Main Street will be just across the street from the market rate housing at Ruby Bridges. And just like at Ruby Bridges, the affordable housing uh, was farther from, this, from the uh, Ruby Bridges Elementary School. And I think it's unfortunate that more effort couldn't have taken place to uh, actually make the shorter walking distance for the families. And the schools communities are actually, uh, I greatly appreciate the services uh, provided by APC. I think sadly the distance from 
APC to AUSD schools has historically been too far. And this was an opportunity to shorten that and to actually allow these families to be more of a part physically and geographically uh, with the school communities because of the distance. And as we heard, many of these families do not have access to cars. So if they're going to attend uh, meetings at night, for instance, they're taking the bus or they're walking, and, and it's very limited. Um, so um, my primary concerns, and I do want to incorporate the comments from Shelby. Um, we received multiple emails where she's done significant analysis of the plan from before versus now, and whether or not it's really um, meeting the, the general plan of our city. Uh, I also want to speak to the funding. Uh, years ago, we used to always ask the market rate developers to tether the affordable housing, and they were not allowed to build the market or to start selling the market rate until the affordable was done. Then at some point with side A is the first time I know of in this city that we actually uh, untethered it so that the market rate could go first or separately, and we, there was not that guarantee. Now this is the first time I know of that the city is actually making a loan to, to uh, finance uh, the uh, uh, supportive housing and in hopes of at some point the market rate will be sold and the city uh, will be repaid. It's a di completely different way of financing this project. Uh, so thus, I will not be supporting it. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll try to keep my comments brief because um, I can incorporate so much of what three of my colleagues have already said. Um, <clears throat> I am proud of our city for um, coming this far, and um, no one does anything alone, and we've certainly had partners along the way, some great partners. But I first want to just stop and shout out city staff, Andrew Thomas, I'm looking at you. Jennifer Ott, I'm looking at you. There's a reason she came back to Alameda at just the right point. Uh, at right time to, to help see this through. Um, she was already so familiar from her work as the chief operating officer out at Alameda Point. Um, and to the, the um, collaborating partners, Alameda Point Collaborative, Brookfield, Catellus, we've worked with you for many years. I'm so excited to see what's happening out there. I love the plans. I remember attending one of those workshops a long time ago, and I just remember going into the room where the teenagers were, and if they had, had the final say, there would have been basketball courts, like just almost wall to wall, kind of at the expense of other things, but hey, basketball. Um, but I also want to just um, throw out a plug, and I'm assuming that the urban farm to table lunch will continue. Yes, so anybody who's listening, if you haven't attended that lunch that usually takes place sometime in May, um, later in May, actually out in the farm, um, with a lunch that is served from produce grown at the farm. You're missing an opportunity. Get your ticket. See Mr. Biggs. He will get you signed up early. But it just, it's so inspiring to see what can be done in urban farm and truly um, young people and adults, you know, who, who live in the cities but can see where their healthy food is growing and, and coming from. And I'm excited about this location. I understand the... Um, the need for the change. Uh, I had taken a tour with, Catellus gave us a tour. We were out there and, you know, maybe a month later, uh, you know, we're going to have to move that location. But the the reasoning makes perfect sense. And if you, ha if you learn anything about doing developments is 
you've got to be flexible. You've got to understand that conditions change. And if you can't be there to meet changing conditions, you are going to be left behind and the stakes are too high in this project. And also, when I think of that area, you know, it's not very far from the newly opened Firebrand Bakery Cafe, and which is a huge, um, has been a huge success. And for more reasons than they make wonderful pastries and breads, but also because the owner, Matt Kreitz, is hiring people with high employment barriers, formerly um, incarcerated individuals, formerly housed uh, unsheltered individuals, providing services for the people who work there. We, um, city manager and I, were just on a call with the governor's office. We have a um, quarterly check-in, and it was the other day. And so we were telling them about some of these things, and the, the representatives from the governor's office were so impressed. They want to come, and they want to have lunch there, and they actually I'd like the governor to come. But I am proud of what Alameda is doing, and Firebrand can be a place where some of the folks in the supportive housing, maybe they're already um, working there, but that is what's possible. And um, I agree with my colleague, um, Councilmember Jensen, who said this can be a model. We can be a beacon to other cities. I'm active in the League of California Cities. I'm on the statewide board of directors this year. And I never tire of telling my, my colleagues, spend as much time looking for how to meet your housing element, how to meet your goals, as you do trying to pick it apart and tell us all the reasons why you're unique. We're all unicorns, people. We've all got something that's special about us, but we still can meet these important goals. And um, I was um, very inspired by that, by that slide that was in the presentation of the wall raising ceremony. I look forward to doing that um, here um, one day in the not too distant future. So with that, I'm gonna turn the floor back over to my colleague, uh, Councilmember Vela. Um, and, and with a challenge to surrounding cities uh, to, to, uh, to, to make sure that they're matching Alameda uh, as we've gotten our housing element approved and we are building uh, hundreds of new units of housing uh, with uh, meeting housing at all income levels and uh, affordable housing, and we are doing it with labor, um, with project labor agreements, where working people are getting employment, um, actually building the housing for working families. Uh, I'd like to move approval. Thank you. Do I have a second? I have a second from Vice Mayor Desai. And, and Madam. Uh, yeah, oh, so actually, sorry Madam Clerk, yeah, help, so help us I, out. I'm not exactly sure. There, there were two agenda items, seven. Um, D was the reshape project, which involved the surplus yeah. land tax resolution, an ordinance approving the DDA, and an ordinance approving the DA. And so, would it, you like yeah, help three separate break votes? It down. May you, what please, I think we'd Mr. like Thomas. you to do is the surplus lands act first. Yes, you're right. Okay. You're right. And if you don't okay. mind, so. Do you mind if I just My motion is for all walk three, and, well, and yeah. we can and we can then vote on each one in kind, correct? Yes, but I would like to surplus lands, and then mm -hmm. a, just a motion to approve the CEQA. Right. Yes. Okay. And then you can do the whole rest of the block. Okay. As right. Right. one right. giant block. Oh, okay. Like. Okay. Yes. Okay. Have you got that? Do you want to help so put that So you're into approving the, the resolution doing the surplus lines act in this first vote. Right. Correct. Double. Okay. okay. So this is surplus lands act. Okay. It's moved and seconded. All right. And, and that is specifically that this property be exempt from the right. surplus that, that covers both, land. Properties both properties for surplus lands. Under yes. the Surplus Lands Act. Okay, moved by Councilmember Vella, seconded by Vice Mayor Daysak. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? None opposed. That passes That's unanimously. One. Number two. Next up. Uh, approving the CEQA for both. 
Yes. All Motion right. to approve the CEQA for both. All right. Um, and that's been moved by Councilmember Vela, also seconded by, who seconds? Councilmember Jensen seconds. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? No. Uh, one opposed, the motion passes four to one. What's up next, Mr. Thomas? And then I think you can do the, 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 the rest of the package can be one vote. It's the development, um, disposition development agreement for reshape, the disposition and development agreement for West Midway, the development agreement for reshape, the development agreement for West Midway, and then there's the budget amendment. And does budget amendment does that need to be separate or we can it fold can, that all in? City attorney all says together. no. And okay. then finally the ENA extension. So we're, you can do that as so one. So motion for the DDAs, the DA, the budget uh, agreement, and the uh, ENA. And the clerk has thumbs up, so that's good. Second by the vice mayor. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Opposed? No. Motion passes four to one. Are we done? Woohoo! All right, everybody. We can applaud. All right. <laughs> I'll make an exception. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to everyone who came out and spoke. We really appreciate it. Okay, we're going to move along quickly because you know me. I want to end this the same night we started. Um, so leave quietly as you're leaving. Great to see you all. Thank you so much. Uh, we move on to item I city. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You were right. Yes. Yeah. So now we go to yeah. the. Yes. Okay. All right. So we are on. Um, the closed uh, the consent calendar if everyone could leave as quietly as possible chat in the hall that would be lovely okay so we've got 5c and um do you want to introduce that to us yes now? recommendation to authorize the city manager to execute an agreement with griffin structures inc in the amount not to exceed 1077000 including a 5% contingency for project management at the City Aquatic Center estimated cost of $30 million, located on the west side of Sweeney Park. Okay, any um, council questions on this item? Well, I pulled it. Councilmember Harry Spencer? All right, so I pulled this item because um, uh, there's within the item it speaks to in September, it's going to be coming back from a discussion about um, the 50-meter pool versus... 30 meter pool and my question is I'm wondering why this doesn't come back in September because I'm concerned about hiring a project manager without knowing that which way which direction the city's going to go who's are you on that one um sure. as I'd a be, city manager uh, I've promoted uh, Jack Douglas too if you want to okay sure you can definitely bring I, I I can actually answer that um the the decision for a 30 meter council will have plenty of time to discuss 30 meter versus 50 meter we're bringing that information back with the financing because that was the specific direction by city council regarding hiring a project manager now they will be helping us with that decision they'll provide they'll help us provide through their experience um, the, the the cost to 30 meter versus 50 meter the benefits to both other examples um, and even when we bring that back with the financing that won't be the final decision of 30 meter versus 50 meter. This team, the project team, management team will be helping city staff do um, another community input process. So we'll be going back out to the community and then we'll come back to council with a variety of things for you to vote on. Um, we plan to bring different options for this. Um, what will be, will or won't be constructing at Sweeney Park as part of this, the 30 meter versus 50 meter, a variety of different things for you to vote on as part of the um, concept before we go into final des uh, design. 
So I appreciate that answer in, in regards to, I might have just heard, like it may or may not be then a, a West Sweeney Park, the West End of Sweeney it, no, Park. No, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. It will be at that location, um, but originally we brought to you as part of this $30 million, we may try and do other components of Sweeney Park to help like such as infrastructure and grading, but we'll be looking at the cost of everything and bringing all of that back to City Council to give us final direction on how you want to fund this project. And it's staff's opinion that we need to hire this firm to be able to re decide whether or not we want the 30 versus the 50 meter pool. That's one component. We are um, requesting authorization of this contract because we firmly believe that with a, a, a project of this size and scope and cost, um, this project management team is so well versed in aquatic centers. We've not built an aquatic center before. They're also incredibly well versed in um, design build, which is also something the city has only done once before for the theater. And so that's a new process for our staff that they will give us a lot of um, ultimately cost savings and efficiency because of their experience <coughs> in these areas. All right, and if at some point uh, there are not at least three of us that support having the pool, then is it like the pay to this company is somehow pro rata or? What happens? It's all on time and material basis, yes. So it's essentially pay-as-you-go, so to speak. Thank you. You're welcome. Any further questions? Do I have a motion to um, recommend authorization to authorize city manager to execute an agreement with Griffin Structures, uh, Structures Inc. Uh, in the amount stated in the report? So moved. Moved by Councilmember Vela, seconded by Councilmember Jensen. All those in favor, signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes unanimously. What's up next, Madam Clerk? Um, 5E, um, and that one, oops, as I get back there, uh, is a recommendation to authorize the city manager to negotiate and execute a two-year agreement with Whitman Enterprises LLC substantially in the form as the attached for ambulance alarm billing in an amount not to exceed 400000 with the option of three one-year extensions for a total not to exceed $1 million for a total of five years. Okay, do we have any council questions on this item? I pulled the item. Oh, you did, didn't you? Any questions? Uh, yes, I pulled the item because uh, um, it's for the ambulance charges uh, and the company that the city hires somehow. Can you explain what who who this contract is actually with or for? You have the fire chief and, here. And my question is really because I get so many complaints about how much ambulances cost that you have someone that gets hurt, someone sees that, they call an ambulance, and it's not covered with Medi-Cal, Medicare, or whatnot, and it could be $700, dollars $900. So what's the question again? $4,500. What, what, what's the question? Why are the ambulance fees so expensive? What is this contract? How does this contract affect the, how much our, our citizens pay for ambulance service? Good evening. Good evening. You want to introduce yourself? Uh, Nick Luby, Fire Chief. Uh, good evening, Madam Mayor and fellow council members. Uh, the, co the contract is with uh, Whitman. Whitman is our uh, billing contractor that does billing for uh, our ambulance services, our EMS services, in addition to our false alarm services. Uh, we have been contractor utilizing them for the past five years. Uh, what we're looking to do is uh, renew that contract for two years with three one-year extensions to continue the ability to do the billing. So they, do they set the rates? Who decides it's like 900 and I heard 4,500 for an ambulance? Who decides that amount? So rate, rates are part of the master fee schedule so that when the master fee schedule comes before council every year, uh, ambulance billing, first responder fees in there, 
oxygen costs, uh, mileage is in there for the ambulances. Um, so that is approved by city council. I can tell you the numbers that are proposed come from county and the board of supervisors. So the county uh, local emergency uh, or EMS agency, so the local EMS agency has a formula they use uh, to come up with the billing for the private ambulances in the county that they're allowed to bill for cities that do not have their own ambulance services. And subsequently, since we are in contract with the county to provide ambulance services, that is forwarded to us as uh, the fees that we can adopt under the Board of Supervisors. And then those fees are at the discretion of the council if we want to adopt the same fees that others are being charged throughout the county. Okay, but this is, uh, so thank you. This is not to exceed a million dollars for, uh, I think, five years. Um, does any of that get passed down then to the customer? so that they end up paying for this? Who pays for this million dollars? So the bill, the, the, the ambulance, or I'm sorry, the billing is at 3.99% for uh, EMS fees. So they, off the revenue we generate, they take 3.99% uh, for their costs. And then the revenue that's generated for false alarm fees is 8% that they receive. Does that answer your question? Well, so actually, I, I, I misspoke. It's actually a million four for the total contract for the uh, five years because it's four plus another an option, I think. But uh, but so this million four does it get passed down to the customer or does the city fund this? The city funds it. We have we have funding in our budget uh, set aside in a project code to pay for these expenses. Thank you. Anything further? And Councilmember Vela. Um, I, I don't have any questions, just a, a comment, which is that we're not voting on the actual billing fees tonight. That's a separate uh, agenda item, which we, we typically vote on. Um, and we have at times not uh, followed all of the increases uh, that we're authorized to do, is my understanding. Um, and that ultimately it's this, uh, this company that actually allows us to do the cost recovery for um, the work that the department is performing. And the master fee schedule will be coming back in September, so you will have a chance to talk about that. Well, thank you. Okay, with that, do I have um, just, any? Yes. Just quickly, I believe the cost of an ambulance ride is roughly $2,500, not $900. So, and that's because I remember when uh, I had a certain thing. And, and just, uh, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make sure that we stay within the Brown Act, and we're talking about the contract for the billing service company and for alarm billing, but when we come back in September, I think that would be the perfect time to raise that. I, I can comment on fees if it's, <laughs> it's a, the, I mean, We it's can wait until we have the fees. It's up to you. I mean, we, can, we can answer the question or... Well, is are the fees part of what you would be negotiating no. for the billing service? No. Okay, no. that's that's my concern. I thought I think it might be more relevant to do it in the context of the rates, but hold that thought. Okay, all right, thank you. So um, we're looking for a motion to authorize the city manager to negotiate and execute this two-year contract to your agreement with Whitman Enterprises mm, as approval. the city. And is that you, Councilmember Jensen? Bless you. Vela. Uh, Vela was. Okay, Councilmember Vela um, uh, um, made a motion, seconded by 
Mr. Councilmember Jensen, um, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion carries unanimously. And where are we now, Madam Clerk? Five I recommendation to authorize the city manager to execute a five-year agreement with Imperial Maintenance Services for janitorial services for 42 city building facilities in a total agreement amount not to exceed $3.4 million. All right. Do we have questions on this item? Yes. Yeah, so I pulled the item. Uh, yes. Question. Go ahead. So I pulled the item because. Um, this, the city hires uh, a company, and here it's saying not to exceed $3.4 million for janitorial service, and it's a five-year contract uh, to clean the, apparently the city's 42 city buildings. Um, does the city know uh, what the benefits and the pay are for the people that do this work that, from this company that we hire then? Yes, we do, and we have City Manager uh, we have our public works director. We do have that information, and it is um, it's it's Mike Billington. Mike Billington. Yes. Yeah. Oh, hello. Our city, our facilities manager. Yeah. Okay. I think he just needs is to start his video. Okay. Oh. Okay. And then we can turn him on the screen. Give us a second. Madam Mayor, good evening, Council members, Mr. good evening. Billington, the floor is yours. My name yours. is Mike Billington, yes, I'm City Facility Manager. And I'm sorry, I missed Council Member uh, Spencer's question. I was, it was tuning in as, as she was speaking. Of course. Uh, I think it was, do you know um, what the people who work for the janitorial service that we employ, what they are paid and their benefits? Do you know that? I'm unaware of the actual benefits, but they uh, um, meet prevailing wage standards. Okay. All right, so is there a reason why we don't do this in-house? Why we, because then I know for sure what the pay is. And I, right, it comes to council. Uh, we I know understood. what benefits, we know retirement. Um, uh, my concern is that I'm actually concerned that we're going with the lowest bidder, which I, right, that, that's what this is. We go with the lowest bidder. Can someone confirm that? that this, uh, real quick, this, this is not the lowest bidder. Um, that this is a, uh, Imperial came in at number three. Uh, the two lowest bidders didn't present adequate information or references uh, to demonstrate that they could perform the necessary services for our buildings, uh, which put Imperial to the top of the queue. And I uh, uh, consulted with the outgoing maintenance supervisor to get his thoughts on the matter, and he uh, uh, gave high marks to Imperial. And from there, I solicited or I, I phoned with uh, the references that they included in their piece of middle, and they also got they gave, got very high marks. Um, with regards to doing it in-house, uh, that uh, we, we researched that a little bit uh, just a short time ago, and we don't have any records that it was ever done in-house. Uh, uh, electronic records, contractual records, we have back as far as 2008. Uh, we know it was contracted out. Before that, we have a staff recollection from the 90s, which uh, also says uh, or indicates that we were receiving it then. As far as going forward with... Um, uh, in-house services. Presently, we don't have the staff or the or, or the or the infrastructure to do that. Uh, but that's something we could investigate. Should council be interested in that? Well, and we we do have estimates that we would it would take a 15 additional full-time staff to provide that service if we were to bring it. Yeah, in that's a uh, an, an estimate. Oh no, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's a uh, uh, a really rough estimate based on uh, the the staffing support we receive currently for janitorial services. 
And then we also know that they're registered with the Department of Industrial Relations with the state um, and pay prevailing wage. And so we do know that they're registered, have to submit forms to the state, and so then the state too would enforce that as part of their prevailing wage requirements. So when you say prevailing wage, is that the minimum wage? Do we no, know it's what actually the hour more, is? We do. The, our minimum wage is about $16.52, and the prevailing wage that they're paying is 17.6, so above okay. the minimum wage, and then they're registered again with the Department of, or the Industrial Relations, Department of Industrial Relations with the state. And in regards to benefits? We don't have that information. All right, so, um, you know, the school district has uh, custodians, um, and my preference would be to, uh, for us to seriously look at hiring within because I think it's the, the hourly is just actually part of um, pay. Um, and I am concerned that there's no, um, my guess is that there's not any, and I don't know, no one, ha no one knows this, right? And when we, ha when we have our own uh, custodians, then we know uh, the pay um, and the benefits. And so me personally, I won't be able to support this I, I am concerned that I, I do see the employees that come here, they're not employees, the, the, uh, uh, it's usually women that come here and work and I uh, think that they do a very good job. However, I am concerned that they're not being adequately paid and I, and I, ha I have those concerns. Thank you. Um, did anyone else want to comment or ask questions on that, on this item? All right, so I'm looking for a motion to approve um, item 5I. I'll move approval. It's, I have a motion from <coughs> Councilmember Jensen, seconded by. I'll second, and I, I'm just gonna add that Please. you can also uh, contract with <coughs> folks uh, and things that we can look at in future RFPs could include um, getting a history of complaints and things like that, uh, or workplace injuries, and also looking to see if folks are signatories um, with the union, there's a number of unions that, that actually um, represent workers at some of these companies that serve uh, a city. So USWW does that, um, as does Local 87 and others. So I'm gonna go ahead and second. Good points, and before we take the vote, I would just say that, you know, as we're going into an economic downturn and we're looking at um, a, a city budget that is um, going to contract, I think we need to think about um, taking on PERS obligations too because that's what we would be doing. But I agree with Councilmember Vella that we want to make sure that the people who work for the city are being adequately compensated and benefited. But we have no knowledge that that's not being um, done now. But there's ways that, um, as Councilmember Vella uh, noted, um, we, can, we can ascertain that in the future. All right, with that, we've had a motion. It's been seconded. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. Aye. Opposed? Opposed. The motion carries four to one. And I believe we have one more motion. Is that correct, Madam Clerk? Yes, 5N. Final passage of ordinance amending the zoning map for the approximately 6.73 acre property located at 250 Singleton Avenue, APN 7490597 to remove the G overlay special government combining district designation as recommended by the planning board. And was this also used, Councilmember Spencer? Yes. Yes, what are your questions? All right, so um, I pulled this item. We, I believe it's for a second reading, but I want to confirm that this is the uh, something that we must do uh, so that the district, the school district, uh, it's something that the school district needs to have happen so then they can build, um, and I think it'll be housing, I'm not sure, but that it's, uh, it's actually uh, a requirement. 
That's correct. Thank you. Great. Do I have a motion? I'd like to move approval of item number um, uh, 5N so we can get out of here, Vice Mayor. I'll move Thank you. Our second by? Second. Councilmember Bell, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? The motion carries unanimously. All right, with that, we have finished the consent calendar and we move on to item eight, correct, Madam Clerk? Yes, I will item. I'm sorry, now I have to, yes, yes, eight. Eight. Okay, city manager communications. Eight. Great, thank you. Um, I wanna remind the members of the public who are still watching um, that there is no council meeting in August and that I hope the council has a great break and we'll see you back here on Tuesday, September 5th. So we do have a break coming up. And then just a couple of thanks to assembly member Mia Bonta for her continued advocacy in Sacramento on behalf of Alameda, the city will receive $2 million in state budget funding for homelessness programs and transportation improvements. In addition, Assembly Member Bonta authored AB 1706, which will allow Alameda to develop uh, 589 housing units at Ensenal Terminals, over four acres of waterfront parks, and completion of the Bay Trail and over 13 acres of submerged lands that can be used as a public marina. And then we also wanna thank Congresswoman Barbara Lee for her continued advocacy for Alameda and her support of the CARE team, which will receive almost one million in federal funding in the com coming year. Um, and then you may have noticed that this, there's a smoother ride on Incinal Avenue that Caltrans has completed the paving work between Broadway and Sherman and is now installing striping and pavement markings. Their final project includes a conversion of the roadway from four to three lanes with bike lanes and on-street parking. Um, and finally, I wanna remind everyone that the 36th annual Downtown Alameda Art and Wine Fair is returning to Park Street next weekend, Saturday, January 29th, and Sunday, June 30th. Maybe from June. I'm June. sorry, what did I say? July, July 29th and, <laughs> and Sunday, July 30th, sorry, from it's 10 late. to six each day, and it should be a great event, so mm -hmm. thank you. Great, thank you. Um, do we have any speakers on oral communication non-agenda items? We do not. Okay, we close item number nine. We don't have any council referrals. Um, council member communications. Council member Harry Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. So um, I'm reporting some of these significant police incident reports that happened uh, in, since the last council meeting. And I wanted to share two days ago on Sunday at 8.53 p.m. Uh, we had an attempted carjacking, 1800 block of 3rd Street. And in this incident, an adult female victim was driving at the above location when a suspect vehicle stopped in front of her. Two unknown suspects exited their vehicle and one presented a handgun. When the suspects attempted to get in the victim's vehicle, she drove away and was not injured. Um, and so that happened right Sunday at 8.53 p.m. And I want people to be aware of the crime that is occurring in this city, you know, uh, Right, so, uh, okay, the next incident I wanna share, same day, but it was early in the morning, it was 12, oh no, this was 12.07 uh, p.m. Um, okay, so that's in the afternoon. Uh, er, okay, this is actually today, July 18th, 12.07 p.m., so this afternoon, an armed robbery, 2200 block of Lincoln, and um, what happened, an adult male victim was robbed at gunpoint by two unknown adult male suspects. The suspects fled with the, the loss, taking what they you know, took from this victim in a waiting vehicle driven by another unknown suspect. The victim was not injured. Uh, an extensive area check was conducted for the suspects in their vehicle, but they were not located. 
investigation is ongoing. Okay, then we had another incident I wanted to share with you all. Uh, Sunday, this one happened early in the morning, 1.29 a.m. And this was a negligent discharge of a firearm vehicle burglary. And what happened was an adult male victim noticed two unknown male suspects uh, burglarizing his vehicle. When the victim confronted them, one of the suspects uh, brandished a handgun and fired one round in an unknown direction. No one was injured. The suspects fled the scene in a vehicle and were not located. Uh, this investigation is also ongoing. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, any other council communications? All right, anyway, it's getting late. Okay, so then I am going to do um, the 11A. I just want to announce my nominations for these are the last two um, boards I have to fill vacancies for. So for Civil Service Board, we have um, we are reappointing uh, one of the incumbents, Jordan Frank, who. Um, works in, um, in HR for DoorDash in San Francisco. And then we have um, someone who had applied more than once. Um, her name is Tracy Cote, and she has a uh, long and deep um, background in, uh, as a career human resource professional and um, is excited to, um, to serve on our civil service board. You'll have a chance to vote on those nominations at our next meeting in September. And then for the Public Utilities um, Board, our um, two-term council member, Laura Giantini, just stepped down after, she was termed out after two um, terms, eight years on the, on the board. But I have appointed, I'm nominating Ryan Bird, who has um, both his bachelor's in engineering, um, uh, bachelor of science in engineering and mechanical engineering material science from Duke, has spent over 10 years, 12 years, in the clean energy um, industry in the last 10 years at Energy Solutions Consulting for Electric Utilities. And so he brings broad um, depth and experience to the um, utility. He's been active in um, CASA and is also the father of three-year-old twins, and he has time to be on a, a board. So anyway, those, those nominations will come to the council to approve at our next meeting. And then we come to the adjournment, and I would ask that everybody just stand for a moment of silence um, in honor of Don Sherritt, um, who passed away um, last week. And with that, thank you so much to staff for all the hard work that went into putting this meeting together to council. And everybody have a great month off. This is where you get to say, see you in September. I might see some of you before then. But anyway, enjoy your month of no council meetings. All right, bye-bye.